Thanks again. Chan, can you push us live, please? Okay, looks like we're there. So, uh, good afternoon and welcome to the San Francisco Planning Commission hearing for Thursday, January 12th, 2023. As you can see, WebEx has thrown us a few curveballs, and so we're all getting used to the new format. Um, to enable public participation, SFGov TV is broadcasting and streaming this hearing live, and we will receive public comment for each item on today's agenda. Each speaker will be allowed up to three minutes, and when you have 30 seconds remaining, you will hear a chime indicating your time is almost up. When your allotted time is reached, I will announce that your time is up and take the next person queued to speak. We will take public comment from those persons in City Hall first and then open up the remote access line. For those persons participating via WebEx, you'll need to raise your hand when public comment is called for the item you are interested in speaking to, and then you will also need to unmute yourself. So uh, the knuckleball was thrown to people calling in to submit their testimony. So you'll need to follow these instructions carefully and they will be um, placed on the screen for those who are watching on SFGov TV, either through television or streaming. First, you'll need to still call phone number 415-655-0001 and enter access code 2495-911. 0813 and then press pound. Then you will need to enter a password 0112 and then press pound. At this point you will be in the hearing and able to listen to the uh, proceedings live. You need to wait until the item that you are interested in speaking to um, is called, or public comment is called for that matter. In order to enter the queue to comment, you need to press star three to raise your hand. And once you raise your hand, you will hear a prompt that you have raised your hand to ask a question. Please wait to speak until the host calls on you. Now you need to wait your turn, and when you hear the prompt, you are being asked to unmute yourself to unmute, press star six. You need to press star six. When you hear that you are unmuted, that is your indication to begin speaking. I will try to remind persons before every item. I know this is confusing, but it's what we have to deal with. Best practices are to call from a quiet location, speak. Um, oh, and please mute the volume on your television or computer. Um, for those persons attending in person, please line up on the screen side of the room. Please speak clearly and slowly, and if you care to, state your name for the record. Finally, I'll ask that we silence any mobile devices that may sound off during these proceedings. And at this time, I'd finally like to take roll. Commission President Tanner. Here. Commission Vice President Moore. Here. Commissioner Braun. Here. Commissioner Diamond. Here. Commissioner Imperial. Here. Commissioner Koppel. Here. And Commissioner Ruiz. Here. It is nice to see most of you back in person in City Hall. Happy New Year again. Um, commissioners, 
First on your agenda is consideration of items proposed for continuance at the time of issuance. There were no items proposed to be continued. However, we did receive a late request from staff and the sponsor is in agreement under your regular calendar for item eight, case number 2022-001764 CUA for the property at 434 Cortland Street, a conditional use authorization. There have been some new developments and so uh, they need to be um, addressed. And they are requesting a continuance to March 23rd, 2023. I have no other items proposed to be continued and so we should take public comment. Members of the public, this is your opportunity to address the commission on the item proposed being con to be continued. Um, if you're in the chambers, please come forward. If you're calling in remotely, you need to uh, press star three or raise your hand via WebEx. Seeing no, I take that back. Again, you'll need to press star six to unmute yourself. Go ahead, caller. You are unmuted. I guess they changed their mind. So, uh, unless I see any other hands raised via WebEx phone or otherwise, public comment is closed on your continuance calendar and it is now before you, commissioners. Commissioner Koppel. <clears throat> Motion to continue uh, item number eight to March 23rd. Second. Thank you, commissioners, on that motion to continue uh, item eight to March 23rd. Commissioner Braun. Aye. Commissioner Ruiz. Aye. Commissioner Diamond. Aye. Commissioner Imperial. Aye. Commissioner Koppel. Aye. Commissioner Moore. Aye. And Commission President Tanner. Aye. So move, commissioners, that motion passes unanimously seven to zero and will place us on your consent calendar. All matters listed here under constituted consent calendar are considered to be routine by the planning commission and may be acted upon by a single roll call vote of the commission. There will be no separate discussion of this item unless a member of the commission, the public or staff so requests, in which event the matter shall be removed from the consent calendar and considered as a separate item at this or a future hearing. Item one. Case number 2022-010719 PCA for the Soma Nighttime Entertainment Uses Leather and LGBTQ Cultural District Planning Code Amendment. Commissioners, you actually already heard this matter, but there are some procedural matters, and so that's why it's back on your consent calendar. Um, members of the public, this is your opportunity to request that this matter be removed from the consent calendar. Again, if you're in the chambers, please come forward. If you're calling in remotely, you need to press star three. If you're on WebEx, you need to raise your hand. Seeing no requests, commissioners, public comment on your consent calendar is closed and it is now before you. Thank you. Commissioner Koppel? Move to approve. Second. Second. Thank you, commissioners, on that motion to approve. Commissioner Braun? Aye. Commissioner Ruiz? Aye. Commissioner Diamond? Aye. Commissioner Imperial? Aye. Commissioner Koppel? Aye. Commissioner Moore? Aye. And Commission President Tanner. Aye. So moved, Commissioners. That motion passes unanimously seven to zero and will place us on Commission Matters Item 2, the land acknowledgement. Thank you. Happy New Year, everyone, and thank you for being here in the Chambers. Good to see most of you back.
The Planning Commission acknowledges that we are on the unceded ancestral homeland of the Ramatushaloni, who are the original inhabitants of the San Francisco Peninsula. As the indigenous stewards of this land, and in accordance with their traditions, the Ramatushaloni have never ceded, lost, nor forgotten their responsibilities as the caretakers of this place, as well as for all peoples who reside in their traditional territory. As guests, we recognize that we benefit from living and working on their traditional homeland. We wish to pay our respects by acknowledging the ancestors, elders, and relatives of the Ramatushaloni community and by affirming their sovereign rights as First Peoples. Thank you. Okay, um, item three, commission comments and questions. I don't see any commissioners lighting up to provide comments or questions. Indeed. Uh, we can then move right along to department matters. Item four, director's announcements. Uh, no announcements today. Okay, item five, review of past events at the Board of Supervisors. Uh, I don't have a report from the Board of Appeals and the Historic Preservation Commission did not meet yesterday, so it's a one-man show, Mr. Starr. Either, um, but uh, good afternoon. Aaron Starr, manager of legislative affairs. Um, the board met this week to swear in its recently elected members and to elect a board president. I'm sure you're all aware that Supervisor Peskin won that vote after several, I think it went to 17 rounds. Um, uh, so the President uh, Peskin is now in the process of making committee assignments, which we should know by the end of the week or early next week. Um, the board also met on Tuesday for a regularly scheduled hearing, but there are no planning department items on it. Um, and land use did not meet this week. Uh, the board is on recess as well as the land use committee next week in honor of Martin Luther King Day. So I won't see you, but talk to you there. Okay, if there are no questions for Mr. Starr, we can move on to general public comment. At this time, members of the public may address the commission on items of interest to the public that are within the subject matter jurisdiction of the commission. Except agenda items. With respect to agenda items, your opportunity to address the commission will be afforded when the item is reached in the meeting. Each member of the public may address the commission for up to three minutes. And when the number of speakers exceed the 15-minute limit, general public comment may be moved to the end of the agenda. Good afternoon. Happy New Year in person. Georgia Shudish. Um, SFGovTV, Happy New Year to you, too. May I have the overhead, please? Okay. I'm Ms. sorry. Shittish, can you sorry. I showed this previously to the commission when there were a bunch of different commissioners on. And what this is is two side by side, the same building. Here it is in 2014, and it's sold in 2016 for that amount there. And you can see it's two flats. And over here in 2019, there it is. They put the flat behind the garage, which she could do under Section 317B7. But if the residential flat policy had been in place or had been codified, then you could have had these two, these two units could have been saved. And you can see the prices. It sold in the pandemic for 3.7. So I just, I was looking at my computer and I found that. And I just wanted to bring it up again because I do think it's important to think about the flat policy as go forward to codify it. You know, and when you read 317, the findings... I always go back to it in my copy. It says, 
the general plan recognizes that existing housing is the greatest stock of rental and financially accessible residential units as in need of protection. So that's all. So thanks a lot. Have a good day. Okay, last call for general public comment. If you're calling in remotely again, you need to press star three. If you're using WebEx, you need to raise your hand. Seeing no additional requests to speak, commissioners, general public comment is closed. And we can move on to your regular calendar for item six. Case number 2019-014146, ENV for the Lake Merced West project. This is the final environmental impact report certification. Good afternoon, President Tanners and members of the commission. I'm Julie Moore from the environmental planning section of the planning department. And the item before you today is the certification of the final environmental impact report or EIR for the Lake Merced West project as adequate, accurate, and objective, and as having been prepared in accordance with the Environmental Quality Act. I will now provide a brief overview of the site, the proposed project, the conclusions in the EIR, and the environmental review process. The project site is located on approximately 11 acres at 520 John Muir Drive on the southwest side of Lake Merced in southwestern San Francisco. The former tenant, the Pacific Rod and Gun Club, built and operated skeet and trap shooting facilities at the site from 1934 to 2015. The site is a cultural landscape that is a historical resource as defined under CEQA. The buildings that contribute to the historic cultural landscape are small, one-story wood frame buildings. These photographs show the semicircular skeet fields, high and low houses, and a safety fence, which also contribute to the historic cultural landscape. The San Francisco Recreation and Parks Department, Rec Park, proposes the Lake Merced West project, which would create a recreational facility at the site and would manage recreation through the selection and oversight of a concessionaire to operate, construct and operate the facility. Due to their condition, the existing buildings and most of the skeet fields would be demolished. The proposed Lake Merced West recreational facility would offer a variety of active and passive outdoor activities in addition to a new community building, restaurant, boathouse, and arborist facility. The final EIR found that the project would have a significant and unavoidable impact on the project site, which is a historical resource. Even with mitigation measures that provide for documentation of the historic resource, oral histories, and an interpretive program. Therefore, the Recreation and Parks Commission would need to adopt a statement of overriding considerations pursuant to CEQA should that commission choose to approve the project. The final EIR also concluded that impacts on noise, biological resources, and paleontological resources would be significant but could be reduced to less than significant with measures identified in the EIR. All other impacts were found to be less than significant or would result in no impact. The EIR analyzed three project alternatives, a full preservation alternative, a partial preservation alternative, and the no project alternative, which is required by CEQA. The no project alternative and full preservation alternative would reduce the significant and unavoidable impact on the historic resource. Although the partial preservation would retain more of the contributing buildings and features of the historic cultural landscape than the project, 
It would still result in demolition of almost half of the contributing features of the historic resource, resulting in an impact that would be significant and unavoidable with mitigation. The full and partial preservation alternatives would have similar impacts on noise, biological resources, and paleontological resources as the proposed project, which would be less than significant with implementation of mitigation measures. The no project alternative would not result in these impacts. The department solicited and incorporated public comments on the environmental analysis throughout the environmental review process and held a public hearing on the draft EIR analysis. This slide presents the key dates in that process, including issuance of a notice of preparation of a draft EIR in 2019, publication of a draft EIR in February 22, the public hearing on the draft EIR at the Planning Commission in March of 2022, and the public comment period on the draft, which concluded April 11, 2022. The department received comments on the draft EIR during the public comment period, including at the Planning Commission hearing. These comments included, among others, concerns about the size of the proposed boathouse from the rowing community, comments regarding environmental effects addressed biological resources, tribal cultural resources, aesthetics, transportation, noise, and water quality. In light of these comments, Rec Park requested that the final EIR include environmental impact analysis of a project variant that would include a larger boathouse. Accordingly, the responses to comments document published December 20. 20th, 2022, evaluated a variant of the project with a 15,000 square foot boathouse instead of the proposed 3,000 square foot boathouse. All other project features would be essentially the same. As discussed, the variant would not re result in any new significant impacts beyond those identified for the proposed project in the draft EIR or substantially increase the severity of a significant impact and no new mitigation measures would be required. Therefore, the variant does not add significant new information or change the conclusions of the EIR. And for these reasons, recirculation is not necessary. Since publication of the response to comments, the planning department has issued an errata to provide greater clarity regarding the impact analysis and to correct a typographical error. These revisions do not raise any substantive issues regarding the adequacy of the EIR. Lastly, the planning department prepared a final EIR in accordance with CEQA, Chapter 31 of the San Francisco Administrative Code and planning department policies. The final EIR is adequate and provides decision makers and the public with the information required pursuant to CEQA to understand the potential environmental impacts of the project, alternatives, and mitigation measures. On this basis, the planning staff requests the planning commission adopt the EIR certification motion before you. The motion does not approve the project, but instead certifies that the EIR complies with CEQA and is adequate, accurate, and objective. This concludes my presentation, and I will be available for questions, as will my colleagues from Rec Park. Thank you. Thank you. That concludes staff's presentation. We should take public comment. Members of the public, this is your opportunity to address the Commission on the EIR. Please note that the uh, public hearing is on the draft EIR is closed. Uh, it ended on April 11th. Um, but you are welcome to submit any additional testimony now. If you're in the chambers, please come forward. If you're calling in remotely, you need to press star 3 to 
You're on WebEx, raise your hand. Seeing no request to speak, commissioners. Public comment is closed and this EIR is now before you. Great, thank you to staff um, for bringing this back before us again and for the corrections that we received. I don't know if commissioners have any comments or questions on this project or motions. Commissioner Moore. And the case you see that you... The microphone's on. Sorry. Uh, I am very pleased to see that all comments have been very thoughtfully analyzed. Uh, I really appreciate the addition of a matrix, which clearly shows the alternatives. It makes it significantly easier to read. So I think it's a very sensitively adjusted document, and I'm in full support, and I move to certify this EIR. Thank second. you. Do we get a second? Who is that? Commissioner Braun. Commissioner Braun, okay. Braun I Excellent. believe. If there are no further questions or deliberations from the commission. There is a motion that has been seconded to certify. On that motion, Commissioner Braun? Aye. Commissioner Ruiz? Aye. Commissioner Diamond? Aye. Commissioner Imperial? Aye. Commissioner Koppel? Aye. Commissioner Moore? Aye. And Commissioner President Tanner? Aye. And so I can't moved. wait to go to the park when <laughs> <And> it's built. <laughs> so moved, Commissioners. That motion passes unanimously 7 to 0. Placing us on item 7 for case number 2022-009297. DNX for the 1010 V Mission Street property. This is a downtown project authorization. Good afternoon, commissioners. Rebecca Salgado, planning staff. Before you is a request for a downtown project authorization and adoption of findings related to the individually requested state density bonus program. Pursuant to state density bonus law, the project seeks waivers from the rear yard, exposure, reduction of wind currents in a C3 district, and bulk requirements of the planning code. The project site is a through lot fronting Mission and Jesse Street between 6th and 7th Streets, located within the C3G zoning district. The site is currently used as a parking lot with 15 car parking stalls. The proposed project includes demolition of the surface parking lot and construction of a nine-story, approximately 85-foot-tall residential building containing 57 single-room occupancy dwelling units and common space on the ground floor. The project proposes no off-street vehicular parking and would provide class one and two bicycle parking as required by code. The project would include a total of approximately 2,050 square feet of common open space on the ground floor and on the roof. The department has received two letters in opposition to the project from the Bayanihan Equity Center and Soma Pilipinas, which were both emailed to the commissioners. At a planning commission hearing held on September 15th, 2022, for an earlier version of the project, submitted under planning department case number 2020-005514-DNX-CUA, the commission heard testimony from 12 members of the public in opposition to the project and one member of the public in support of the project. After that planning commission hearing, the department received one additional letter of support for the earlier version of the project. The department finds that the project is on balance consistent with the objectives and policies of the city's general plan. The department also finds the project to be necessary, desirable, and compatible with the surrounding neighborhood. The project will provide 57 new dwelling units on a vacant lot that currently serves as a surface parking lot. The project will provide 13 <clears throat> below market rate housing units on site, which will assist in meeting the city's affordable housing goals. The project site is located in the Soma Pilipinas Filipino Cultural Heritage District, whose Cultural History, Housing, and Economic Sustainability Strategy Report, or CHESS Report for short, was adopted by the Board of Supervisors on September 16, 2022. 
The adopted report did not include a land use component and did not modify the planning code. Planning staff reviewed the project against the CHESS report and found that it does not counteract any of the CHESS report's stated prior, prioritized strategies and recommendations. Based on the findings contained within the case report, the department recommends approval of the project with conditions. This concludes my presentation unless there are any questions and the project sponsor also has a brief presentation. Thank you. Thank you, project sponsor. You have five minutes. SFGov TV, I can get the computer, please. Good afternoon, commissioners. John Kevlin here with Ruben, Jenison Rose on behalf of the project sponsor. Uh, the project before you would construct a nine-story building on an infill site with 57 single-room occupancy units, 13 of which will be provided at affordable rates. All these units will have full kitchens, including convection ovens. The property is a small through lot on Mission Street between 6th and 7th Street. It's an unattractive surface parking lot separated from the sidewalk by a chain link fence. <clears throat> the project is largely the same as the one heard by the commission uh, last September. As the commission didn't have the votes at the time to take an action on the project at that hearing, we've now converted it into a state density bonus project. The market rate units will be naturally, uh, more naturally affordable due to their small size. Uh, the units are provided uh, uh, more than twice as much open space as is required by the code via a central courtyard and a roof deck. There's a 400 square foot community space also provided at the ground floor along Mission Street. Uh, no parking is proposed as is pro appropriate for this transit rich location and two curb cuts will be removed on both frontages. The project is seeking a typical exception from the rear yard dwelling unit exposure bulk and wind requirements via the state density bonus program waivers. Since the site is so small, it's 4,400 square feet, providing a code compliant rear yard would eliminate an entire stack of housing units on the site. So without this waiver, the project would instead need to seek a greater height uh, to achieve its allowable density. The site has two frontages, Mission Street and Jesse Street, and the planning code and department policy is to provide building massing along both frontages to complete the block faces. A code-compliant rear yard would typically have been 40 feet at this site, and instead that space has been relocated to the center of the block with a 40-foot deep uh, central courtyard. Uh, both the exposure and bulk waivers flow from this approach to the massing as well. Uh, and again, the project provides more than twice the amount of open space required. Now, I'm never particularly enthusiastic about reminding the commission about its discretion in these cases. Uh, I do think it is appropriate here to, uh, as a reminder, uh, this project is now uh, obtaining its exceptions from the planning code via waivers in the state density bonus law, which means it's protected by the Housing Accountability Act, it means the project may not be disapproved or reduced in size unless it has a specific adverse impact on public health or safety. And further, specific adverse impact means a significant, quantifiable, direct, and unavoidable impact, um, most importantly, based on objective, identified, written public health or safety standards, policies, or conditions as they, they existed on the site uh, when the application was deemed complete. So these need to be standards that are written down, uh, written, and very clear, not uh, on the spot. Uh, the project sequel review uh, concluded that the project, with its mitigation measures, has no uh, adverse impact on the environment. The Soma Pilipinas Filipino Cultural District Chess Report um, includes no standards that apply to land use decisions today. 
Uh, further legislation is contemplated and goals are set, but the report places no standards on this project to cite uh, uh, for an exception here. Now, to be clear, the project sponsor has conducted outreach to the community prior to the first hearing. A community-wide Zoom call during the pandemic was held at the beginning of the project, as is required for all projects citywide, but specifically in the cultural district uh, and with the cultural district. Uh, further, a second meeting was held with the Bayanihan Center, which is next door to the site. And in neither meeting did anyone express um, from the community concern or opposition to the project. The meetings were polite and respectful. And frankly, the, the most important thing that came up was uh, respecting the 1010 mission address because that's actually a secondary address for the uh, Bayanihan Center, which will obviously resolve. <clears throat> So the first we heard of major opposition to this project was actually at the hearing in September. Um, unfortunately, it does look like there's no middle group, uh, ground here. You know, the groups have called for no SROs. They've called for 100% affordable housing on the site. That's just in direct conflict with this project sponsor's program for the site. Um, that said, there has been, uh, at the last hearing, expressed a desire to potentially uh, purchase the site from the project sponsor, which, by the way, could fulfill many of the goals in the CHESS report that, that have been outlined. And nothing that happens at today's hearing impacts the project sponsor's open and willingness to have that conversation. Obviously, residential construction is challenging right now and more than willing to continue having that conversation should there be a desire from the community uh, and, and that option on the table. So in closing, the project replaces a small parking lot on a prominent frontage on Mission Street with a sensitively designed housing project with 57 units, 13 of which are affordable. No displacement will occur with this project. It'll improve the pedestrian safety and neighborhood quality by eliminating a fence parking lot. And we respectfully request your support for this project. Thank you. Okay, with that, we should go to public comment. Members of the public, this is your opportunity to address the commission on this matter if you're in the chambers. Please come forward and line up on the screen side of the room. Come on up, sir. And if you're calling in remotely, you need to press star three. If you're using WebEx, you need to raise your hand. Hello, commissioners. David Wu with Soma Pilipinas. Uh, Soma Pilipinas continues to stand uh, in opposition to the 1010 v Mission Street project, which proposes to build market rate SRO units that will cost half a million dollars on a block that contains almost exclusively 100% affordable housing, existing low-income housing, and a community-based uh, and community-based organizations that serve the Filipino community at the Bayanihan Community Center located next door. As numerous uh, community members stated at the September 15, 2022 hearing, 1010V Mission does not support low-income and working-class children, youth, families and seniors in the south of market. It is bad planning to build more luxury tiny units in Soma. It is very troubling that this brand new project appears to be receiving preferential treatment from the planning department by being fast-tracked and receiving a commission hearing only three months after the application was accepted and seemingly being given waivers on standard procedures such as holding a public, public pre-application meeting. Um, hopefully, planning staff or the city attorney could clarify the legal requirements for this project's application process. The developer's outreach to the community has been almost non-existent, as outlined in the staff report, with no public outreach occurring for this project. Given the amount of community concern raised at the 2022 hearing, we asked why planning did not require community outreach for this new project. Similarly, why was no racial and social equity analysis done for the project, again, given the concern expressed? 
It has been seven years since the planning department began its racial and social equity initiative and over two year, two and a half years since the planning commission adopted its resolution on centering planning on racial and social equity. By this point, the planning department must be uh, able to apply a racial and social equity lens tool for projects seeking approval. In our letter submitted to the commission on this project, we outlined for the uh, planning department questions to be answered in such a racial and social equity analysis, such as what are the demographics, including income of those living in this immediate area, and how does that line up uh, with the proposed cost of units. The project staff report also contains false information stating that the project does not go against any of the Soma Pilipinas chess report strategies and recommendations. The project is in fact in direct conflict with three distinct strategies regarding updating the youth and family SUD, land banking sites uh, for affordable housing and inclusion of the Filipino community as part of the planning's racial and social equity plan. And also in terms of the CEQA analysis, as we saw with 469 Stevenson, looking at the displacement um, and gentrification impacts as part of CEQA is something that the uh, Board of Supervisors has looked into and needs to be further uh, analyzed. And we ask commission to once again stand with working class residents and deny this project. Thank you. Commissioner's uh, question, do I have to speak now or can I come back, listen to the other comments and then speak? Well, if you're gonna submit testimony, we're taking comment from those persons in the chambers right now. So I need to go now, I can't wait for the phone calls well, I first. Mean, I mean, I guess I suppose you can sure. game the system and wait and then. <laughs> I'm just up. asking. No, now's your, now would be a good time. Okay. Commissioners, Sean Kegren, Residential Builders Association. And I'd like to address the letter and the comments um, of the previous speaker. The project sponsor did hold a community member meeting and the community at large was aware of the project. Has there been more outreach in the past? Could the outreach have been better? Perhaps. But there's enough blame here to go around. This group knew about the project. This group failed to pick up the phone and call or email or meet with the planning department staff. They failed to pick up the phone or email and reach out further concerns to the developer. There is enough blame to go around on everybody. The next day after that hearing, the project sponsor called me and he said, it felt like I was ambushed. And the reason I'm bringing that up is because we still have a housing shortage. And if we conduct ourselves, and if we set policies, and if we allow this type of behavior to go on once, twice, and God knows how many times, how are we ever going to convince the development community that this is a fair and open and transparent process? How are we going to convince anybody that the pre-application meeting means anything? How are we going to convince anybody that all that time you spend working with your planner means something? If a group is allowed to just come out and ambush at the last minute. That's not to say I'm not against, I'm, I'm, I support activism and I support getting involved. But it's got to be done in the context. It's got to be done in balance. It's got to be done in harmony with the process. The other component to the letter that bothers me is it fails to recognize the other competing goals and objectives of the city. 
Yes, I'm for affordable housing. But let's be honest, this group may not have the money to build affordable housing. That neighborhood may not have the money. The mayor's office of affordability may not have the money. The city and county of San Francisco may not have the money, and the voters did not allocate money for this. And I got news for everybody. The developer doesn't have the money either. So once we recognize that that's not a reality, it's time to look at the competing, other competing needs, and we have to have discussions that balance all the different goals and objectives of the city. And I do wish that this could be affordable. But the next best is affordable by design. And you have that right here. Anyway, I sit on a lot of committees. I work to support affordable housing. Sometimes I wish it's time for the other affordable housing groups to stand up and work to support the other goals and objectives of our city as well, Thank or at you, least sir. not fight it. That Thank is you. your time. Okay, if there are no other members of the public in the chambers, we can go to our remote callers. Again, you will need to unmute yourself by pressing star six. My name is Stephanie and I'm a resident of San Francisco and I work on Mission Street. I'm calling today to ask for your support in approving the project of 1010 Mission Street. This co-compliant development will bring much needed new housing in the midst of a housing shortage and an affordability crisis while replacing a surface parking lot and displacing no one. If approved, 1010 Mission Street will bring naturally affordable housing units in addition to 13 below market rate units, which will assist the city in meeting its affordable housing goals. The proposed building also uh, includes ground floor community space and is located in a transit rich neighborhood, encouraging residents to commute by public transit. In addition, planning department staff have found that the project would not result in significant effect on the environment. I ask for your support for 1010 Mission Street and for more market rate and affordable housing in high transit rich neighborhoods today. Thank you. Hello, my name is Michael, and I'm also a resident of San Francisco working on Mission Street. I'm calling today to ask for support in approving the project at 1010 Mission Street. This development is code compliant and will bring much needed housing to San Francisco in the midst of a housing shortage and affordability crisis. This project replaces surface parking, a surface parking lot and displaces no one. 1010 Mission Street will provide naturally affordable housing units plus 13 BMR units, which will help the city meet its affordable housing goals. Please approve this project. everyone, my name is Amelia and I'm also a San Francisco resident and I work on Mission Street. And this proposed development, it's a vacant lot and the state of California is in a housing crisis. So why does it take so long for these to get approved from start to finish? It's a huge problem in San Francisco. And the neighborhood group wants 100% affordable housing and for the city, 
by the property. The owner said they'd be happy to talk about it and waited for an update, but nothing came of it. So here we have a proposal for 13 affordable units on vacant land, and I would like you to please approve this project as designed. Good afternoon, Commissioners. Uh, my name is Mike Stack, uh, and I just work down the street on Mission Street. Uh, I'm calling in to support this project also. Um, I think everybody knows that uh, we're in a housing crisis. Um, I think you know building a 57-unit building, which will be affordable by design, and replacing a vacant parking lot is a great idea for the city. Please support the project. Thanks for your time. Again, you need to press star six to unmute yourself. Hello, my name is Ed and uh, I am a San Francisco resident. I work on Mission Street, live close by. I drive by this site every day. It's just a vacant site with 15 cars on it. Uh, doesn't do me any good. I'd love to see some housing built there. Uh, 13 affordable units, uh, certainly better than no affordable units. And, um, the project looks great, fits in with the context of the neighborhood, at least architecturally, and by nature, these smaller units will be easy to afford. So uh, San Francisco Planning Department, please do your job, approve uh, this project, and um, let's move forward. Thanks. need to press star six to unmute yourself. Hi, this is Ed again. Did anybody hear me? We did, well, sorry. Sorry. You did. Hello, my name is Taya, and I'm a San Francisco resident, and I work on Mission Street. I'm calling today to ask for your support in approving the project at 1010 Mission Street. This development is uh, code compliant and will bring much needed housing to San Francisco in the midst of a housing shortage and affordability crisis. This project replaces a surface parking lot and displaces nobody. 1010 Mission Street will provide naturally affordable housing units plus 13 below market rate units, which will help the city meet its affordable housing goals. Please approve this project. Additionally, um, I'd like to see the Planning Commission stop denying projects on empty parking lots in a housing crisis, especially in areas around Market Street. Thank you. Okay, callers, um, 
when you receive a request to unmute yourself, you need to press star six. Hi, this is Joe. I'm in favor of this project. The last hearing, I felt the developer was sandbagged by a bunch of people who have no idea what it takes to build housing in San Francisco. It takes, it costs $600 a square foot to build anything in this city. Now, please go ahead and approve this project. And we shouldn't have any formal delays. I don't understand why a planning commission is stopping projects on vacant parking lots, or why they're stopping any project these days, and why a planning department takes three years to approve anything in this town. This planning commission needs to address this situation. These delays cost hundreds of thousands of dollars, and in larger projects, millions of dollars. So go ahead and approve this project. Thank you. Okay. Last call for public comment. If you're in the chambers, please come forward if you are calling in remotely. You need to press star three. If you're on WebEx, raise your hand. Seeing no request to speak, commissioners, public comment is closed, and this matter is now before you. Thank you, and thank you, members of the public, those who came in uh, in person and online, and thank you, uh, Mr. Secretary, for helping us through our new WebEx, which has more steps. So. Hopefully folks will keep getting used to that. Um, I do have a few questions um, that I want to ask and just try to get some more understanding. I think Mr. Wood did raise some good questions. It, perhaps staff can just walk us through a little bit the application process for this project. I imagine in some ways it's maybe faster because it was mostly reviewed beforehand and um, we do still prioritize housing projects um, in our review queue. So if you could just shed a little light on that, we'd appreciate it. Sure, absolutely. Um, as you guys can see through the drawings, the project is nearly identically the same. So the real heavy lifting of doing code compliance, the plan checks, the design review, and the vast majority of the environmental review was exactly the same. There were a few minor updates that had to be made, particularly on the environmental review side. Um, but otherwise, from especially from the current planning side, it's a lot of save as with a few minor updates. So. Um, you know, a big part of our triage of how we work through priority um, work within housing is level of effort. Um, and if there are projects that we can move through quickly and that are fresh of mind, we do that. Okay, great, thank you. And, and there was a question that was raised that I think would be just good to hear where we are, and, and I'm not sure, Ms. Wadi, if you're the right person, but um, as we continue to work on our advancing racial and social equity, where we are, I know we had wanted to develop a tool that current planners could use, and just curious where that is in development. Sure, happy to. Um, that is aligned with our, with our phase two efforts. So as you know, the phase two of our race and social equity plan has not yet come before you for adoption. Um, I believe we are targeting that for summer or some, some stage later this year. Um, a big part of that is the planning code audit, um, as well as the impact analysis. And those are really the grounding tools that we need to first adopt before we start being able to evaluate on a project-by-project project basis against something. Um, again, in the same way that we look at projects against code or against adopted design standards, we really want to make sure we have a foundation that's a consistent foundation and a tool that we can analyze every project against so that we're not coming up with things spur of the moment that are really different principles on a project-by-project project basis. We 
want to have that grounding. So we're anticipating um, that that we're really moving into the stage of our external facing work with phase phase two, whereas phase one was really looking internally at our department. So that's, that work will be coming forward later in the year. Great. Thank you. And maybe just to kind of sticking with the procedure a little bit, why was there not another project meeting required for this project um, in the same way that we have the pre-app meetings um, for the first iteration of the project? It would seem, even though it's very similar, like wouldn't there, wasn't it technically a new project in terms of needing to have outreach and things like that? So actually, pre-application meetings are not required in the C3 district. Okay. So the commission's pre-application policy is really focused in our residential neighborhood commercial. There's, I think, one um, random PDR district that is triggered, I think, and then for some formula retail projects. Um, but it is very specifically broken down by zoning district. But the C3 district, which is where this project is based, um, doesn't trigger the need so for pre So even the prior one was a voluntary, voluntary correct. meeting that was held. Okay, thank you very much. To the project sponsor, I don't know, Mr. Kevlin, if you want to speak on behalf of the sponsor. Just curious, I mean, I know you addressed it in your comments that it seemed like there was an impasse. I don't know if you had any further conversations with uh, members of the Soma Pilipinas or other groups just regarding some of their requests. And even, uh, I know there had been some previous requests in the first iteration of the project around community room and some other things, the address, if you could just shed a little light on, on those things and then also any conversations on the more larger uh, topics that were brought up. Sure thing. Thanks, President Tanner. And um, the, the answer is yes in response to your question. I think there's a, it's, it's always challenging, especially in a public hearing environment. It's not the greatest place to have this conversation. Uh, it's a, a bit clunky. And um, I think... Both sides, to a certain degree, recognize that we, we have a little bit of a, a conflict in this case, right? That the, their interests, which are totally respectful, respectable, uh, totally get it, are just in conflict with this project sponsors. And that's, that's the reality here. Like I said, the conversations we've had have been respectful. They've been polite. And frankly, I think there is an opportunity moving forward with the potential of a purchase of this site. As I mentioned, I mean, the project sponsor is a builder, so they entitle projects to build them. Uh, and have the ability to, to break ground sooner than you know a typical developer. However, um, uh, it's a challenging environment right now, as we all know. Um, there is a lot of public funding right now, so I do see that this is not just uh, words to be spoken at a hearing. I do think that this is providing a basis for a conversation uh, of, of for that p uh, potential. I don't want to speak for anyone. I just think that there is some uh, real potential there. Okay. Assuming that there isn't purchased, just that the project does go forward and get built, could you talk a little bit about the SRO for sale units? If you or the sponsor is familiar with other successful sales of units of this size, in, particularly in the BMR program, and how those fare in the lottery and folks being able to purchase those units? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I do think we all acknowledge, and staff can get into this deeper, that uh, BMR ownership units right now are challenging, both from a market perspective in terms of people wanting them and in terms of people losing equity over time in them. Uh, there's also a challenge in getting mortgages for them as well right now. So, And there's a lot of things just outside of our control. Um, I will mention that the most recent amendments to the affordable housing program um, that Supervisor uh, Ronan uh, sponsored have been having, I think, maybe some unintended consequences in the sense that ownership, one, the affordable housing choice now controls market rate units. It's, it used to just be you pick an ownership project, or your BMRs are ownership, and you can do what you want with the market rate. Your rental project, your BMRs are rental, but you can do what you want to do with the market rate units. The changes now have impact the market rate units, and an ownership project actually gives much more flexibility 
uh, in terms of how, whether you rent or sell those uh, units moving forward, uh, the market rate units moving forward, you can in fact rent up to 50% of an ownership project. So I think a lot of these decisions now, and this isn't just this project, I'm having this conversation with a lot of clients right now of choosing this option because it at least, right now, you need every little thing to kind of make a project work. Having this flexibility starts making a difference in the decision on, on the, uh, the BMR units. This project sponsor is a, a very experienced builder here in San Francisco. They have a lot of experience building projects, holding them and renting them, as well as selling them. So they, they do uh, uh, believe that this is a viable approach for this project moving forward. But that just gives you a little bit of the broader context of what we're dealing with uh, you know, in the re these residential projects right now. It sounds like some of the challenges would be on maybe Mo's programmatic side of helping the future owners to be able to secure the capital to, to purchase the units and kind of helping on that side versus the the unit itself. Is that kind of what, you're, what I'm hearing from you? Yeah, I think okay. that's right. Thank you. Um, thank you so much. Thank you. Do other folks have questions or comments? Commissioner Moore. Uh, Mr. Kaplan, if you would if you would be so kind to of, uh, explain one more time the issue with the address. I kind of didn't quite get it. <laughs> <laughs> if you click on the next door by a Nihon Center uh, parcel, it has a, an address on 6th Street. It also has 1010 Mission as its address. If you click on this parcel on the property information map, it also says 1010 Mission on it. That's obviously problematic. Um, so uh, that has been brought up by the community that we would not like you using 1010 Mission because there's going to be confusion with our building next door. And so for now, the 1010 V, as in Victor, is a placeholder. Ultimately, uh, when this project gets built, probably call it 1012, I'm assuming. Okay, thank yeah. you. That's all I need to know. Thank, thank you. you thank much. you. And I do see um, Commissioner Imperial raise her hand, and then we'll go to you, Commissioner Diamond. Thank you, um, President Tanner. Um, I, and thank you for the questions earlier about the, um, the process when it comes to the pre-application. Um, and so now I understand that the pre-application meetings or additional outreach may not be required because of this, because this under three, C3G zoning. Um, but how does the department respond that this is still under the fact that this is under a, a cultural district? Wouldn't that also, is there some sort of a, outreach requirement regarding that because it's under cultural district? Just, uh, Commissioner Imperial, I don't think there's no requirement, but we certainly, you know, when we talk with project sponsors and get these projects in initially encourage slash require a kind of outreach to happen. Um, I think this is a unique circumstance in that it came back kind of as a similar project and we heard it here at commission, but we absolutely, especially in cultural districts, uh, require that outreach to happen. And if I can just add one thing, um, right before the holidays, our department actually just published two community engagement um, public facing documents um, to really encourage and help uh, both developers, but uh, as well as community um, go through a more productive community engagement process. Again, with it not being mandatory, but sort of a best practice document, if you will. And it really does highlight, you know, when projects are in cultural districts. So again, you know, we understand that this project um, predates the release of that, but just wanted to share with you that our department is, you know, we're we're building the ship here also as we're flying it. We're continuing to make improvements of expect and expectation setting as we move forward, especially around community engagement and outreach and, and how people can do better. Um, but yes, it, that we right now don't, as, as Director Hillis said, we don't have any mandated um, community engagement requirements within cultural districts. 
Thank you for your responses. And it does give me ideas as well as we are trying to move forward with community engagement strategies and how to be very effective on it, especially if it's under cultural districts. Um, on the other hand, though, I remember from our last hearing that we did um, suggest or we did encourage that the, the, the project sponsor do another outreach or reach out to the community members. And it seems like there was no effort at all, even though they're not required. But I think at that point, when there were a lot of uh, community members going out, then there should be a due diligence of effort of outreach. So that's something that I just want to point out to the project sponsor, uh, because it seems like after that hearing, there wasn't actually a due diligence of outreach. Um, on another point, um, I also want to have a question on the on the dispute regarding the chess strategies that the planning department doesn't find it um, in alliance or in alignment with the chess strategies. Um, I'm quite confused with that um, finding. Why is that? I think, Commissioner, a couple of things. One, we definitely are, you know, we've, we've part of that chess strategy is to update the youth and family uh, controls in the in the code and we've started discussions with soma Pilipinas and others about that um, but we're in those initial phases on that and kind of implementing and we're also moving to staff up more on as the housing element is done uh, with staff who will help cultural districts or work with cultural districts in in priority not neighborhoods implement develop and implement community plans so I just don't think we're there yet with a um, with with an update to the to the zoning for 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 the youth and family district, and I don't anticipate that it's going to say, don't build housing, but there may be, you know, may preference more family style sized units instead of SROs. But we certainly aren't there with code yet. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I guess that's the reason too, but there, there is an initial youth and family SUD where there are some objectives around the youth and family SUD. And definitely as it stands, stands right now with this project, with the current youth and family SUD, it still doesn't serve the youth and family because, I mean, I, I will not um, go on as to what are the objectives of the youth and family SUD, but those are not being honored in this project, in this project right now. Um, and one point that I do want to bring out in terms of the project sponsor mentioning about the BMR SROs homeownership, I, I also want to enlighten um, other members of the commission and also the public that in terms of the homeownership side, even though they are BMRs, I mean, the issues of HOA fees are still unaffordable. And so this is something that as we're trying to look into or have an analysis of racial social equity or socioeconomic analysis, um, again, these are the things that I do find it quite, um, um, you know, doesn't align with the, with the cultural district, with our, again, the intention of building more affordable housing, because even in the BMR homeownership as well, there are issues with it that, we sh that still needs a lot of amendments. Um, so I still stand by my decision from the last hearing, and I will not support this project. Thank you, Commissioner Imperial. Commissioner Diamond?
Um, I have a technical question for staff relating to Section 6B, the floor area ratio, which um, rises because this is now a state density bonus project. Uh, in it, it this, in this district, it's 6 to 1, and you can go to 9 to 1 FAR with the purchase of TDRs. I'd like to understand more um, how that interacts with the state density bonus requirements. Is the base for SDB 6 to 1, or is it 9 to 1? And can you go above 90, 9 to 1 and with a state density bonus project? Do you still purchase TDRs? Are you automatically permitted to go up? If you could just you know, provide some enlightenment around how the state density bonus works in districts where FAR is granted through the purchase of TDRs. Sure, um, Rebecca Salgado, planning staff. Um, so the requirement for TDR is uh, not a discretionary requirement, and so state density bonus um, projects are still um, subject to the requirement to buy a TDR um, for the amount of square footage that's over the base FAR. Um, so uh, for this project, the base FAR is six to one with a maximum allowable of nine to one, they're proposing a 6.36 to one FAR. So they have to buy TDR for that amount over. Um, for state density bonus projects, there is the option to uh, buy TDR to increase the FAR of the base project up to the maximum FAR. So a project um, with a similar scenario to this one could purchase TDR and have the base project have an FAR of nine to one, and then go and have the bonus project be that much larger. So you're saying they would buy TDRs, if it's a state density bonus project, they would have the option um, to buy TDRs to go to nine to one, and then they could, that then nine to one would become the base, um, and they could purchase more TDRs to go above to whatever, is it 50% above to 13.5 to one FAR? Correct, and it, it, it's an option um, to, they, uh, a project doesn't have to go to that maximum FAR for their base project, but they have the option of doing that just to gain that much more Right, density. I know they're not proposing that here. I just wanted yeah. to understand yeah. how the state density bonus worked um, in conjunction with TDRs um, in these kinds of districts. And Commissioner Diamond, just to add just one other point to that, which is a little confusing. Um, Project sponsors have a bit of an option on this one. Um, they could either leverage the purchasing of TDR to get to different floor areas, to leverage state density bonus in different ways for different outcomes, or they could choose, because it is an objective standard, to waive it through state density bonus. And so this is a bit of a weird one where both of those options could be available. The purchasing of TDR is akin to being a code compliant project, like complying with exposure. You can either comply with exposure or you can not and request to waive it. Um, and so it is, it's a weird one because it's a financial one. Um, and it's honestly, this is I think the first project where this has really come up as an issue relative to state density bonus, but that's where there's a little bit of a um, confusing component to it because it it is a little bit of a choose your own adventure on that front in terms of code compliance versus waivers. Just to make sure I understand, you're not saying that they could waive their obligation to buy TDRs, though, are you? Are that you is our understanding after digging into it on this project over the last few weeks. So this project is not choosing to do that. That is not the project before you. This project is choosing to buy TDRs and use waivers for other um, code compliance items. I don't know if it's for today, but 
if we had a number of developers doing that, it changes the market for TDRs when this whole system was put in place in very significant ways, does it not? Yeah, good. Okay, um, just sort of put a footnote on that one that we might wanna understand that going forward. Um, Definitely. Okay. All right, I, I um, will, oh, I see there's another commissioner who wants to speak, so I'll withhold the motion. Commissioner Braun? Um, yeah, I do, I do want to point out a point of agreement that it would have been beneficial and helpful if the project sponsor had done additional outreach after this came to the Planning Commission, or at least the prior sort of iteration of this project came to the Planning Commission on, on, in September. Um, and then as far as comments go for sort of an ambush at the Planning Commission hearing, I mean, it is more constructive and better if these conversations can happen prior to the hearing, but of course that's folks' right to um, share their comments at the hearing, and that's why we have these hearings. Um, but uh, that being said, you know, to me, this this is a code-compliant project after accounting for the waivers um, that have allowed it to be to come forward in this form, and uh, it is replacing a parking lot. And so I I don't see um, any reason to oppose the project, and I think in some ways our hands are even a little tied here in um, in uh, approving this project. Thank you, Commissioner Braun. I just do have one other maybe comment or question before we, uh, looks like we're heading towards motion. Um, it's to staff. I could definitely see how having a chest report, identifying strategies could feel like pretty substantial progress and spending a lot of time um, creating them and then to feel like, well, how is this, that is not family size housing, that is not supporting some of those, those goals and objectives and strategies, how that is allowed. and. I know you said, Mr. Director Hillers, that you know we're working on getting staff to help, but perhaps there's also just communication with cultural districts around what land use controls are. I mean, I think in, in some ways we had the opposite experience last week, where we had the mission, uh, the project in the mission that complied with the design standards, and that's part of why the building was so embraced and the kind of the, why it looks so attractive and really fitting in with the neighborhood to help folks understand how they can develop and apply the land use controls, and then I think what I would be interested to see as we look at our budget, how we are allocating budget of staff time to help with the creation, this, that's you know our technical expertise that we can apply to help someone say, this is the strategy we want, and then, okay, here's the code language or the design standard or what have you that can lead to that. So could you just shed a little light on maybe how we got where we are, where folks are feeling like they have it, but they don't actually have those controls? Yeah, one, the, the the Youth and Family District has been, we've had this discussion in the past, and I think recognized Commissioner Imperial has, has definitely brought it up. It, it doesn't, the code language doesn't quite fit with what it, I think the intent of it was to do. So it's always kind of been on our list and I think the community's list to, to tackle. And now that we're getting more involved up front in the chess reports, I think they will have a more robust land use component to them, and that's our intent to be able to staff that work, because primarily it's been run out of OCD, which is good, um, but we want to add to that to, to have a land use component to the chess reports too, and we're doing that. Um, but I think with, with SOMA, we want to go back and work with the community, and to the extent we need to amend the chess report, amend the chess report, or come to you with updates to the youth and family district, so it does you know, yeah. do more of what it was intended to do. 
Yeah, I for one certainly would be interested in a conversation, whether it's at this commission or in another forum of just understanding that SUD and like where it falls short of achieving through the code what the community has been trying to achieve. And so I think that's something I want to make sure we follow up on sooner than later yep. so we're not at another hearing kind of saying, well, we still have this thing that isn't, you know, what we need it to be and it's not serving the purpose that it was, you know, intended to serve. Yeah, and we've already started those discussions and we've, we're, we're dedicating staff to work with, with the cultural district, the Soma Filipina Cultural District on those very issues from the gateway to the, to the SUD. Okay, great. And I will just add my comments. I think that the building is very thoughtfully designed, so the units are laid out very well. I think the you know having a through lot and having the two kind of building faces and kind of completing the block face on both those sides is great opportunity. I think it's very well done. I think the location of the courtyard makes a lot of sense and will be a very well for suiting the residents at the ground level and also having the roof deck in addition. And certainly having 13 um, affordable units for ownership, certainly the HOA fees can be a challenge, but for folks who are able to buy in and hopefully maybe over their career, they earn more income and can have um, some wealth building opportunities, which is again part of our housing element that we heard really strongly, folks wanting more uh, ownership opportunities in the city. And so I think this helps to begin to achieve um, that at least a little bit. I'll turn it over to Commissioner Moore. I, I would agree that the unit design has improved from what we saw in the first rendition of this project. I still have questions regarding the ground floor unit facing Jesse Street, and perhaps Mr. Kevlin could engage in a conversation. Why do we have to deal with a gas meter literally sitting in the center of the outside of this unit? This is basically because of its awkward uh, situation, a nested bedroom. Uh, is the architect here? Uh, perhaps he could speak. I, uh, that would be helpful. Uh, is there any way to negotiate with PG&E <laughs> to underground the thing? We really would appreciate this being a better unit, and I think it would serve the project well, and particularly because this unit is facing Jesse Street, which is a little bit more challenging uh, at this moment at least. It would help the project uh, overall. Good afternoon, Commissioners. Reza Krishnevisan, SIA Consulting, part of the design team. So um, this issue of the PG&E is a constant challenge. Um, last week, in one of our projects, we learned that uh, PG&E is trying to fight even having the electric meters inside the building. So it is just uh, constantly, you know, they, they fight the vaults, they, they, they fight location of the meters, and, you know, when I sat in a meeting that uh, the representative blank out said, developers make too much money, why don't you back out the building by five feet? Um, so that's the, and, and they are, they're not, uh, we at least, uh, I have a lot of clients from different walks of life that have connections, you know, with pg &E and they reach out to the supervisors. No one budges. Um, so the, the gas meter, um, at, at least at this time, you know, they, they, I mean, as of whatever, a couple of years ago, they wanted right at the back of the sidewalk. Um, and um, that's, that's where, what we have, unfortunately. Can we not combine the window with the door so that the sum total of light coming in would give more, give more light than having just a tiny window, the gas meter, and a door? Is right. that possible, shifting the gas meter further to the south? Yes, mm -hmm. south, and mm -hmm. combining window and door, which just by psychologically makes the, 
the area of light larger in the room. Right. Is that possible? Yeah, the, the, the reason that gas meter landed smack in the middle of the building is because also they, ha they want clearances from the other utilities, three feet to the sewer line, three feet to the electric line, three feet to the water line. It's a narrow site and with the utilities and poles and everything that are there, I mean, this is all we got left. Um, maybe, you know, if the, um, you know, we can continue negotiation with them during the construction documents, maybe we can find other solutions or maybe PG&E could become a little more lenient. Maybe we can do better than this, but at this time, this is all we could come up with, unfortunately. Thank you. I think Ms. Wadi may have wanted to respond to your question. Yeah, question. I was just going to say we're in the midst of working on an uh, MOU with Public Works um, and hopefully in consultation with PG&E as well if we can get alignment um, to really create, create some standards where we will support as a city the undergrounding of these electrical rooms, particularly on projects that have really narrow frontages where we want them to be active, great places for people. Um, and this one looks like it probably meets the criteria that we're drafting right now. And so it would certainly be helpful if we can, on this project, as it starts going through the construction drawing phase, if we're able to have um, the encouragement of the Planning Commission to have this be undergrounded, I think that um, acknowledgement from you all would be helpful in us being able to advocate for putting that underground. So it's not to say it's a it will be a done deal, but it'll be one more tool that we can use to help leverage that outcome. Yeah, there was one additional question on that. Thank you, uh, Ms. Wadi, for saying that. I do believe it is a very timely conversation, and uh, I think we would like to stay uh, updated of what progress you are making. Something has to give here. Um, the other question I would like to have, I heard that you have been increasing floor to f floor to ceiling heights in the building or throughout. Is that correct? Um, so how much? Not how much, but that you have. Increased. Increased. Increased floor yes. to ceiling height. Yeah. Correct? Yes. Uh, I'm wondering if we could get a, a step or two up into Unit 101 because uh, I have said that uh, last time around, given issues of privacy, particularly right now, given issues of flooding, etc., uh, <laughs> we would like to sit a little bit higher for privacy reasons uh, as well as for rainfall, etc. Yeah, thank you, Commissioner Moore. Um, we uh, looked at this yesterday. Mm -hmm. uh, the, there's also the issue with the ADA, and we need to get a, a ramping up to that side, to, to that uh, to all of these units as well. We're able to fit a footstep above grade into that Jesse Street elevation if that's uh, of interest. Um, we can't push the height higher because now we're pushing up against construction type. Um, but if, if that is something that uh, the commission uh, would prefer, uh, that that's doable. Uh, and uh, and the ramp would be in the in the, the front residential lobby actually. I would strongly support that, and as the, the rest of the commissioners sometimes can talk about it independently, but that small gesture would help, given that we are so crammed in with the gas meter, et cetera, yeah. it becomes yeah. Yeah. a little bit more of a primary entry into the, into the unit. Yeah. I certainly would support um, having that step just to create privacy and I think a better unit um, on that, that street yeah. face, if that's doable, that sounds great. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, I think we had some discussions here just broadly about this project, certainly was a project that was in the headlines uh, a few months ago when it was before us. And so I think, you know, there's a lot of things that I think I wish had happened and that many of us wish had happened. I wish that it had been continued so we could have a discussion with the fully seated commission. Um, and I understand the commission had asked the project sponsor to do more outreach. At the same time, the commission's actions led to that project not being able to go forward at all and essentially kind of killed that project. And so I think 
it's a little hard to both request outreach and then also kill the project at the same time. Um, that said, I still wish more outreach had happened. And I do appreciate the sponsor um, checking in with us in the community and recognizing that there's differences of opinion of what should go here and different perspectives from different folks. Um, again, I do support the project in that it's bringing needed housing, it's bringing ownership units, it's bringing um, small scale, small format, more affordable units um, by design. And I'd be looking to the commission for a motion or, or for the discussion. And I see... Uh, Somebody else here. Yeah, I see. I see that. Thank you. Um, and so I'm going to call on Commissioner Koppel, who is comparing to all of us as Commissioner Rees today. Just so we know, that's Commissioner Koppel. Oh, sorry. Make a motion to approve. <laughs> With um, the encouragement around PG&E and the additional foot in the one unit. Yes. Second. Commissioners, I'm sorry. There, yes. there is a very late request for public comment. Should we take that caller? You have Ms. I am not inclined to take public comment this time. Very good. Then there is, uh, did anyone second that motion? Thank you. Ms. Ruiz is showing up as Commissioner Koppel. Ms. Ruiz is on the line. Oh, so oh, when oh, it oh. comes up on our screen as uh, Ruiz, it's, uh, it's Joel. And could we please reiterate the modifications to the ground floor unit? Uh, one step up into unit 101, the Jesse Street facing unit. And if possible, find a way to switch the window with the gas uh, meter moving uh, through the south. And Mr. Kevlin, is that one step or was it one foot? I can't recall what you said. One what? step. Sorry, I just want to make sure we're capturing it correctly. Or what? That's right. One foot and one step. Okay, yeah. great. Thank you. Very good. Then, commissioners, there is a motion that has been seconded to approve this project with conditions as amended to include a condition to move the Jesse Street unit up one foot and one step, and then look into switching the window with the PG&E gas meter. On that motion, Commissioner Braun. Can I interrupt for a second? I, I thought you wanted us to encourage undergrounding as opposed to switching. What, what was it you were asking us to do? I, I'm not sure if there was an another ask related to the window, but the sort of just the general encouragement to pursue undergrounding the electrical room with PG&E. So not a condition of approval, but an encouragement statement that we could forward on to PG&E. And, and how do you want us to make that? <laughs> if it's not a condition of approval, what, where do you want that? I think just memorializing in the record, in the minutes, uh, that the commission is in alignment of encouraging undergrounding of this electrical room. So do we need to... If that's doable, Jonas. Add that to the motion? Um... Well, I mean, they would need to take an action and incorporate it in their motion so we could include a finding that the commission would yeah. support right. uh, undergrounding of the gas meter PG&E utilities. That's, that works, yeah. And okay. this has been a long-standing battle between... Yeah. Well, we waged it again. We waged it again with our finding and <laughs> see what happens. Um, on that motion, and is the maker of the motion amenable to that? finding addition and the seconder. Thank you. On that motion then, Commissioner Braun? Aye. Commissioner Ruiz? No. Commissioner Diamond? Aye. Commissioner Imperial? No. Commissioner Koppel? Aye. Commissioner Moore? Aye. And Commissioner President Tanner? Aye. So moved, Commissioners, that motion passes five to two with Commissioners Ruiz and Imperial voting against. Commissioners, that will place us uh, 
on item nine as item eight has been continued to March 23rd for case number 2022-003329 CUA at 3790 through 3792 21st Street. This is a conditional use authorization. Good afternoon, President Tanner, fellow commissioners, Jeff Horn, Planning Department staff. The item before you today is a request for conditional use authorization for Planning Code Section 317 to legalize the tantamount to demolition uh, that occurred at a two-family dwelling located within an RH2 zoning district. The project site is located in Noe Valley neighborhood within Supervisorial District 8. The project site is located on the northeast uh, corner of the intersection of 21st Street and Noe Street. The approximately 1,700 square foot lot has 30 feet of frontage on Noe Street and a depth of 58 feet along 21st Street. The existing building is legal non-compliant in regards to rear yard um, at the site. The project proposes to legalize a tantamount of demolition that occurred at the project site while um, expanding and reconfiguring the original two-story, two-family dwelling into a 4,831 gross square foot, three-story over basement, two-family dwelling with two-car garage. The main unit of the existing building was expanded from a two-bedroom unit on the second floor to a 3,391 gross square foot, four-bedroom unit spanning the upper three floors of the new building. The second unit of the existing building was relocated to a newly constructed basement level and enlarged from a 652 square foot studio to an approximately 836 square foot one-bedroom unit. A two-vehicle garage was re relocated from the 21st Street frontage to the Noe Street frontage. Uh, to provide the commission with a timeline and history for this site, a uh, building permit for vertical addition and alterations was submitted in April of 2015. And in July of 2015, the Section 311 neighborhood notification began and a DR was filed in August of 2015. The Planning Commission conducted a discretionary review hearing on January 14th, 2016, and the item was uh, continued. The Commission gave direction to the sponsor to make changes to the project that included uh, enlarging, enlarging the lower unit from a studio into a one-bedroom unit um, and providing additional windows both on the 21st Street frontage and adding a new light well at the rear yard. Uh, the addition of these windows was in the spirit of the flats rem removal policy but preceded the establishment of that policy by several months. Uh, the building permit was approved by planning in July of 2016 and issued by DBI in February of 2017. Uh, over 10 complaints were made to DBI during the construction of this project with concerns over uh, work approved over the scope or work occurring over the approved scope and not in, com and in, in, not, not in compliance of the uh, proposed plans. Uh, the Department of Building Inspection issued a certificate of final completion and occupancy in March 15th, 2021. In December of 2021, planning opened a complaint-based enforcement case for the merger of the units, uh, which occurred by not constructing a closet and separating wall at the ground floor unit, thereby providing direct connection between the garage access of the main living unit. The resolution of this issue can be seen on sheet A 2.0, um, of the plan set before you today. And during this review, planning concluded that the removal of the building elements that had occurred to complete the construction of this project exceeded the thresholds of section 317, which is seeking legalization um, through the CUA before you today. 
The current owners took possession of the property in March of 2022 and submitted this correction CUA application a month later in April 14th, 2022. The request today is to legalize the project as completed with minor modifications to correct alterations that were made to the project that were not in conformance with the original approval. To highlight a few of these, this includes to add a window to the first floor along 21st Street to increase exposure to the one bedroom unit. This was a window that was added by the commission during the um, DR process. Another alteration would be to add um, side lights to the window to ensure compliance with planning code section 136 to allow these bay windows to be compliant um, bay windows. Uh, the department has received four letters in support of the project and two letters with uh, concern. The letters in support um, generally support the project as constructed with requests to minimize any additional alterations needed. Um, letters in opposition were submitted with concerns to the merger as well as the means and methods of the unpermitted work that happened at this site. Um, I mentioned some of the letters in support had additional or similar concerns with the means and methods of construction that happened at the site. Uh, overall, the department finds that the project is on balance consistent with the intent of the RH2 zoning district and the objectives and policies of the general plan. The project proposes to legalize the tantamount to demolition of a two-family dwelling, but does uh, but the project does expand and provide expand the units and provide additional bedrooms. The department also finds the project to be necessary and desirable and compatible with the surrounding neighborhood and not to be detrimental to persons or adjacent properties in the vicinity. This concludes staff's presentation and I'm available for any questions. Thank you, project sponsor. You have a five-minute presentation. Uh, good afternoon, President Tanner and commissioners. I'm Tara Sullivan from Ruben Junius and Rose on, uh, here on behalf of the project owners. Um, the Bashivis are requesting a CUA under Section 317 for a de facto demolition and to legalize the work that was completed from 2016 to 2020 by the previous owners. They purchased the property in 2022, and since learning of the enforcement matter, have worked diligently with planning staff to remedy this outstanding enforcement issues. The current building, as you heard from Jeff, contains two units. 3790 is a four-bedroom unit on the upper floors, and 3792 is a one-bedroom unit at the ground floor. The off-street parking spaces have been consolidated into one garage area. It should be noted that the prior work in question was reviewed and, reviewed and approved by the planning department staff. The project had three permits and received its certificate of final compliance in March of 2021. It is unclear from the record whether demolition calculations were submitted and were incorrect or if they were not submitted at all. We just don't know what happened here. We've searched the record and we can't figure it out. Either way, the constructed project exceeded the scope of Section 317 criteria, resulting in a de facto demolition. The majority of the project was built in compliance with the approved plans. However, the previous developer did make several tweaks to the project, such as changing window widths and types, eliminating some closets, eliminating a small deck at the corner of Noe and 21st Streets, and changing the front entrance door type. Those changes are clearly highlighted in red throughout the floor plans that are in your packets today. I'm happy to go through them if you need me to. As a part of this approval, the BFGVs have agreed to correct a few items that were approved in the plans, but were not. But the previous developer did not include. Um, adding side lights to the two bay windows so that they are in compliance with section 136. Currently only they have two lights. Um, and adding a window to the first floor along 21st Street as recommended by the Planning Commission for the first floor ground uh, unit. 
As mentioned, the Bashivis moved into the property um, in August of 2022. Since then, they've become active members of the community. They've befriended neighbors and they've been enjoying their house. They've supported their neighbors with four, four of them submitting letters of support. Um, and they have been in contact with the Dolores Heights Neighborhood Association, who hopefully will be commenting during public comment in support of this project as well. In summary, it's uncontested that the project exceeded the scope of the Section 317 demolition calculations. However, I want to reiterate they were all done by the previous owner, developer. The current owner's hands are clean from all of the work that was done. They bought the house, found out after the fact. Um, the owner is here and he will be speaking in a moment. But they, are, they want to remedy the situation and really hope that the commission grants conditional approval today. Um, I'm going to turn the podium over to Sasha and Bashivi. Um, again, available to answer questions, go through plans if you need me to. Thank you. Hi. <clears throat> Good afternoon, everyone. Thank you for taking the time to meet with us today. Uh, just by way of introduction, I'm Sachin Bhavishi. That's my wife, Mandri Bhavishi. And we're the owners of 3790 and 3792, the, uh, the units in question today. And I thought it might be helpful for us to just give you a little bit of perspective uh, and history um, on our behalf as new owners. So for background, we recently moved to San Francisco from New York. Um, I, I view this as a great career opportunity for me. Uh, and at a time when a lot of people are leaving this great city, I've always thought San Francisco is a city of great opportunity. Uh, so we moved here. We thought it'd be a nice adventure for our family, which also includes our two kids who are seven and four. And once we decided we were moving here, uh, we immediately began looking into schools for our two kids. Anyone that has kids knows that every child is different, every school is different, so we had to find a school that was a good fit for our kids. We prioritized that. And in late 2021, we came um, here to look at schools and look at homes. On that trip, we absolutely fell in love with this house. Um, we thought it'd be a great fit for us. And importantly, it met our two most important criteria, which were close to my office, close to the kids' school. And so shortly thereafter, we entered into contract on the home. We submitted the application for the school. Uh, at this time, we weren't aware of any issues of the home because none were disclosed to us. And, um, and then after that, um, the complaint was made and uh, these issues came to light. And so I would, I would highlight that we were, we were just as blindsided by these. Uh, and uh, as Tara mentioned, we, we had nothing to do with this. Um, but unfortunately for us, we had already entered in a contract, we'd made the down payment, we had applied to our kids' school. At this point, school application deadlines had passed. Uh, everyone will recall in late 2021, the, the San Francisco real estate market was in a complete frenzied state. And so you put all that in a blender, it wasn't feasible for us to Thank try to you, break Thank you, sir. I'm sorry to interrupt you, but that is your time. The commissioners may have some additional questions for you. Okay. Later. Could I just wrap up, or is that okay? I think we'll, we'll have additional questions we can ask you. But thank you so much for your time, and okay. appreciate your being here. Thank you. Okay. Uh, in that case, commissioners, we should take public comment. Members of the public, this is your opportunity to address the commission. If you're in the chambers, please come forward. If you're calling in remotely, you need to press star three. If you're on WebEx, you need to raise your hand. Hi, uh, Georgia Shudish. Um, this is a very unusual case. The commission has to approve a CUA for an illegal demolition where the replacement structure is already finished and occupied 
and it's clear that relative affordability was not protected. And it also can raise the question about economic diversity, but let's focus on relative affordability. How did this illegal demolition happen? That has not been explained. Here are other issues. General plan policy 4.1 in the findings is not met. This is not a remodel of existing housing for families with children. It's an illegal demolition. The original flats were suitable for families with children. Two, staff did request demo calcs per the two 2015 NOPDRs. This illegal demolition cannot be laid at the feet of staff or who knows who. Three, under planning code section 317B7, the smaller flat was relocated from the street to the basement becoming a unit that was easily internally connected to the larger three floor unit via a sliding door as can be seen in the floor plan from the sales ad right there which I'm handing out to you. The residential flat policy needs to be codified. It was passed in uh, October 2017. Four, the relative affordability finding for planning code section 317 5i is not met because of the sales history. The first 2014 price was $799,000. There was apparently a probate of $998,000. It ultimately sold for $1.3 million. There may have been a 2016 sale of the entitlement for $2.98. The project went on the market in June 2021 for $7.9 million, with the price lowered to $6.85 million over several months until it sold during the enforcement action for $6.5 million. Even at this fire sale price, there is no relative affordability protected compared with the two original flats, both of which were livable and more likely to be occupied separately. The lower flat was not a studio. It had three rooms at least. Located in a well-resourced, high-opportunity neighborhood, the original flats were a positive contribution to the city's housing stock. Since 2012, two loopholes aided and abetted the development culture for projects applying for permits as major alterations in RH neighborhoods. Like this one, they were really illegal demolitions, helping to fuel the speculative fever of the past decade. And I've cited those before. Before approving the CUA for this illegal demolition, please amend the relative affordability criterion finding to reflect the reality that relative affordability was not protected. Thank you very much, and here's for the minutes. Okay, last call. Oh. There is a member of the public. Again, when you need, um, you need to press star six to unmute yourself. Good afternoon. This is Bruce Bowen from Dolores Heights. The history of this project falls into two time periods, prior to 2022 and from 2022 through today. The speculators who owned the property from late 2014 through the beginning of 2022 were responsible for the project that is the subject of the CUA hearing. The project was affected by policy and administrative shortcomings by city departments, failures that the developers were eager and able to exploit to their advantage. The old house was subject to de facto demolition and a de facto even a merger, yet multiple building permits were approved by city departments. As a result, the property was able to be marketed at the end of, by the end of 2021. But a new chapter began in 2022. In January 2022, Planning issued a notice of enforcement based on a complaint, and in March, the new owner, the current owner, took possession. Since then, the new owners have been trying to make things right. From what I understand, they have worked constructively and cooperatively with planning from the beginning of their ownership in order to abate the violations. I've only heard positive feedback from neighbors about their presence and efforts so far. The question now is what is to be done? 
From the beginning of the project and the first DRs, DHIC's focus has been on the integrity and habitability of the second unit. Staff recommendations for restorations of the units on, on the windows on the south facade is an important one, in particular if the windows are needed for reusable light for the second largely below grade unit. Also, the second unit must be truly separate. Other changes to the second unit are likely impractical at this point in the size and I think configuration of the second unit largely conformed with the 2016 approved plans, not with the original units, the original buildings, but with the 2010 approved plans. Second, the request from neighbors who are weary of unending construction should be respected, so any additional construction you cause should be ordered only for very good reasons. Third, please remember that the current owners bear no culpability for the actions of the prior owners. And finally, please keep your focus on prevention of recurrence of this kind of road construction. Focus on clear demolition and unit merger rules, calculations and guidelines, and strong oversight of continuing enforcement, and also strong oversight of continuous enforcement, continuing enforcement. Even though it is tempting to use a case like this to try to send a message meant to be a deterrent, keep in mind that sporadic signals meant to deter are not as important as systematic prevention. I'd also like to endorse and support Ms. Shudish's um, recommendations for changing the uh, conditions. Thank you very much. Okay, last call for public comment on this item. Seeing no additional requests to speak, Commissioner's public comment is closed, and this matter is now before you. Thank you. I did have a few more questions for the project sponsor. If you want to come back, um, Mr. Rashidi, I know you had a few comments that you wanted to make still, correct? I think you were explaining a little bit about um, getting, closing on the home and then moving in. It sounds like that occurred early last year uh, yeah. that you closed and then were made aware of the challenges. Could you describe that a little bit? Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, you know, as I was saying, we, we were blindsided by this. We moved in. Uh, since finding, uh, becoming aware of these issues, we've been working collaboratively with the planning department to address these. Again, there are issues that we stepped into and had nothing to do with. Um, I do want to thank the planning department for their professional and transparent manner in which they've conducted themselves. Um, I would say over time, we got clarity in terms of what the planning department was looking for. As you will see, we've accepted the recommendations of, of planning department as well. And so in our minds, um, you know, we're, we're making amends for the mistakes of others. Um, hopefully, by accepting what the department is recommending, um, you know, it represents a workable path for everyone. At this point, our goal is just to move on um, and legalize the property um, for, again, something that we just, we just inherited. Um, and the, the last comment I would make is we really enjoyed our time in the home. Uh, we worked really hard to become members of the community. Um, to become friendly with the neighbors. We even consulted the neighbors as part of this project. We submitted letters that you got, you all have. Um, so that, that's all I had. Thank you. And can I ask just out of curiosity, and I'm sorry this was your welcome to the city. I hope more parts of your uh, joining San Francisco have been more enjoyable than dealing with this project. <laughs> um, sure, it's not what you imagined it would be. Was it marketed to you as a single family home or were you aware that there was a second unit? Just describe a little bit for us like what you thought you were kind of yeah. getting into at the it, time. It was marketed as a single family home. It was presented to us with the downstairs unit merged in the main unit all as one. Mm -hmm. uh, and leaving aside the deviations in terms of the construction versus the permits. And it was on that basis that we entered into a contract. So 
we didn't even know that there were two units. We then closed off the two units, which obviously changes the flow and composition of the home materially. We were fine accepting that. We're fine accepting the proposed modifications as part of the plan department's recommendation. So once again, we feel like we're doing everything we can. We've done everything that's been asked of us. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you very much. I don't know if other commissioners have any questions for uh, Mr. Bashibu while he's here. No? Okay. Thank you so much for your time. Thank I you. appreciate that. Um, I do have a few questions for staff just in terms of the complaint um, history that you uh, discussed. If you could help me understand that obviously it was a fraught project that got DR'd. Some folks were not happy um, with the project coming forward, but it was eventually approved. And then I think you mentioned that during construction there were 10 complaints. Do you have a sense of the the nature of those complaints and if they were investigated and found to be um, have merit or, or what happened with those complaints? Uh, thank you, Jeff Horn, planning staff. So again, these were um, DBI building complaints. Okay. Um, and r the nature of that language is always hard because that's actually written by the complainant, not written by DBI staff. So the complaint can say whatever um, whatever you know, the narrative of that complainant is. So, but the language to, that was in these um, complaints was a lot of uh, scope of work. Um, actually, there are, I think, some references to that window not being constructed. It seems people were aware of it. Um, this property, even if you look at kind of the history through some of the online sites uh, or you know map sites, you can see that it was had a large of um, kind of construction tarping protection during the whole mm -hmm. the whole process, which it wasn't actually a very seemed to be a fairly long construction process. That would seem so. Yeah. And even though the complaints were made to DBI, were you able to see in the record that they were investigated and closed by the DBI staff? Is that what Typically, they all seem to be, have been closed by DBI staff, yeah. And so now we're seeing that they were yeah. correct in making the Yeah, the most recent one, I think, still remains. Um, Which is the 2022 right. complaint. Over, over along the same time, probably December, the same time planning received our complaint for the uh, unit merger. Okay, great, thank you. Commissioner Moore, do you have a question for Mr. Horn? Uh, no, I would I was just like to engage Mr. Horn for a moment. Mr. Horn took this project over from Nancy Tran. Uh, I'm the only commissioner in this room here who participated in the earlier version of this project, and this is one of the saddest days for me to uh, see as much fraud having been committed by the previous uh, applicant the previous owner and the previous construction company. This, is, this does not have any parallel. Uh, if you carefully look at the drawing, and that is aside from the direction that you have recommended for the commission to take, and most likely the only one we can, this in reality is really built as a completely different building from what the commission in 2015 and 2016 carefully in a number of different meetings crafted this building to be. This building as a corner building required a lot of exterior attention as well, aside from unit equity, which always has been uh, <clears throat> most and foremost important to the commission. But the treatment of windows, the uh, in introduction of windows which sit in a completely different plane than they were asked to be built, the fenestration, the mullions, the variant setbacks as you go over the different porches on the on the Noe Street side. <clears throat> I have hardly any words to describe my frustration, absolute outright disrespect for which this commission spends a lot of time volunteering that time to help the public deliver projects that are fitting in context 
enhance the way we live. This is an insult and a fraud on all and every levels. And this doesn't have anything to do with the current owners, which I believe are seriously victimized by that amount of fraud being able to happen. And we do need to understand, and perhaps there is an ability to change things a little bit, when inspectors come to a site at the various stages of inspection, they do not unroll the drawings to see as to whether the windows sit in the right place, as to whether they sit in the right location or as to whether you know, the right type of window has been chosen. We were very specific about what type of recessed windows we wanted in order, in order to give this massive building more modulation and more acceptability on the noise street side. All of that was thrown out of the window. A gracious double door entry was basically tossed away for a minimal single uh, uh, door on the noise street side as well, and, 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 and. As I read, and I'll be happy to share with my fellow commissioners, the instruction that the department, based on, the, on commission uh, decisions, gave to the applicant at three different occasions, and all of it basically was blown to the wind. And this commission, for anybody who listens to this, does have some weight. And under any other circumstance, this project would not be approved today. We have this commission in previous other situations has taken the attitude to return the building to the way it was approved. In this particular case, that is impossible to do because we would be penalizing the wrong people. We would be victimizing people who were basically, even in the purchase of real estate, were frauded all the way. Because at that stage, disclosure is required, required by law. And any realtor, who sells something under a different pretense is liable. Uh, I'm not going to ask uh, the attorney here as to whether or not any such actions have been considered. Uh, there, is, there is a guilt here somewhere. There is a fraud here. And who is paying for that? Is this the people today asking us for a modified project or who is paying for that? Uh, I don't want to get myself into some kind of an emotional do-loop here as a commissioner who has served on this commission for quite a few years. I am more than appalled. I am extremely angry, frustrated, and I empathize with the people who are victimized by these fraudulent actions. I could not agree with you more, Commissioner Moore. Just, it's really and disappointing. And I will make a point to forward the previous findings to my fellow commissioners just to be able to retrace the steps. Thank you for that, I appreciate that. To that point, Ms. Wadi, I recall, and my memory is not the best, that there was, in the wake of the challenges we had with DBI, that there had been some legislation around trying to help identify um, builders or other actors who uh, essentially committed fraud and kind of on like a do not use list. Is that still active? And I don't know if the folks who are responsible for this could be subject to that, but it certainly would not be something who I would want to have them working in the city again and continuing to, right. you know, uh, provide this 
low quality of, of work. Sure, happy to. Um, Elizabeth Wadi, uh, Director of Current Planning. Um, there is, so uh, legislation, um, blanking on the exact year now, but a few years ago moved forward called the Enhanced Compliance Control List. Um, that is in effect at the Department of Building Inspection. I believe at this moment there is only one person who's on it. Um, unfortunately, but understandably, the way that ordinance was written was it was moving forward. People who violated, not retrospective, obviously. Um, a lot of the work that we see today and have seen over the last year or two is actually related to projects that were likely reviewed by our staff in 2015, 2016, just because of the, the amount of time it takes. So anyhow, it's a moving forward list. So it's not capturing a lot of these projects that we're seeing now where the action took place prior to the adoption of that ordinance. Um, however, I was, which I think is relevant and, and we absolutely second um, your thoughts, Commissioner Moore. We were actually having a very similar conversation this morning around frustrations um, about um, you know, we expect that the final design that's put on plans is the design that gets built, um, and we rely on other city agencies to make sure that happens. We don't have an inspection arm that goes out and, and verifies prior to CFCs. Um, but what I will say is a little bit of a teaser for next week, and what's um, being delivered in your packets as we speak, is there is a piece of legislation that we've been working really closely with Supervisor Ronan's office on um, relating to fees and penalties. And I think two really important things, and I'm sure there'll be much more robust conversation then, but that's very relevant to this project, is it does two things um, that will be great. Hopefully there are no future projects like this that come forward, but if there were, it A, expands responsible parties. Right now, it's just the property owner. And unfortunately, as you all know, it's a different property owner. It's not the right person to penalize. Um, it changes the definition to open it up to people like contractors, architects, engineers, expeditors, persons involved with the actions that were the bad actors, not just the current day property owner. So that's one really important change. It's a little wonky, but very impactful. And the second is we've always been um, an agency of not being punitive and trying to gain compliance. And so we never really had like a penalty that could be assessed on somebody if it was identified that they did something wrong. This legislation changes that. Uh, and we'll give the zoning administrator the ability for things, um, if a project leads to tantamount to demolition without benefit of permit, up to $250,000 penalty. And so there are tools that are gonna be coming forward that hopefully will become um, teeth that we currently don't have and that we didn't have at the time of this um, action that hopefully um, continue to deter people from moving forward. I would say the only good news that I have um, as we experience these projects is We've not been hearing of more of these coming. The, the trend is very much going down. And we have, I would say, starting in about um, 2019 or so, 2018, 2019, really started um, uh, adding additional protocols in place around tantamount to demolition, as well as um, DBI uh, creating new protocols around uh, pre-inspections on the site for projects that were really, that involved basically any vertical addition. Um, Joe Duffy has been very impactful in making phone calls to applicants and contractors to make sure they understand the rules and, and understand San Francisco's different maybe. Um, and so anyhow, because I think of all of those measures, we really haven't seen this trend um, going up or stabilizing, it's really been going down. So anyhow, just wanted to share that there are some things in the works that hopefully prevent this from happening again, but we very much share your frustration around uh, what gets built versus what gets approved. Yeah, thank you for that, Ms. Potty. It's certainly encouraging. And I'll just add, I think what's, what is further uh, 
frustrating is not even the right word. It's just, it, it's wrong, and I'm, I'm really disappointed in the performance of the city staff, that there were complaints made. I mean, certainly I understand if inspectors going to the site, maybe not unrolling the plans, but then complaints were made to say, hey, something's not happening the way it should have. That's a, a cue to say, okay, let me, like, take a second look a little deeper than just making sure it was installed correctly. It's to say, like, let me actually verify that it's, you know, correct overall. So, you know, we're a complaint-based system, and when the complaints don't work, it's just you know, we're, we're, we're stuck here, and then there's new San Franciscans are stuck with a house that they've got to significantly modify that they just moved into, which is just absurd. Um, that said, Commissioner Moore, did you have any yes. more comments you wanted to make? And then we'll go to Commissioner Braun and Diamond. I wanted to ask uh, Mr. Horn one additional question. Uh, unit equity uh, in the original discussion was a very big discussion. Where are we right now with, instead of having a, a studio, that we have a one-bedroom, if that's at all possible? Correct. Uh, thank you, Jeff Horn, planning staff. So this, this discussion, again, did occur during the DR hearing um, process back in 2016. Uh, at that time, the relocated unit to the ground floor was going to be a, um, a studio, a, a tr uh, just kind of open, concept, open floor plan studio around 800 and, or, so losing the language, around, I think, 820 square feet. Um, prior and what led to, prior to the, the commission's final hearing of the DR and actually led to the withdrawal of the DR by the uh, DR requester was a, re a revision to those plans where they added an actual uh, subdiv subdividing wall to create a distinct living kitchen area and an actual one, a bedroom that had these, um, had the new light wall at the rear yard to make it a, a, a DBI definable bedroom. And additionally, the wall was pushed out recapturing some of the garage space and provided additional 50 or so square feet to the unit. Um, and that was the effort to at least try to enlarge that unit because of, you know, they were doing, the units were broken up by floor. So absence of actually taking square footage from one of the other floors and providing it to the lower unit, expanding it into that garage space kind of, I assume at the time was the only kind of conversation that occurred. And how many square feet do we have now? I think it's 832. Okay, thanks. In addition to that one question, what harm is being done to the family who bought a single family home and now will have to basically let go of one unit uh, in order to live in a smaller home? Uh, that, that's a question of empathy. Uh, has the family expressed any? The current family? Yes. Um, I would not say they've expressed any uh, statement of harm from from the the changes that need to be made. Okay, they have not tried to object that this has to happen. Oh uh, no, I, they you. have not. Okay, thank you very much. Thank you, Commissioner Braun. Uh, yes, I have a question. I'm, I'm really going out on a little bit of a limb here because it deals a little bit less with the project itself and the modifications that are going to be made. Um, but I hate to pile on with the challenges with this project, but when it was built and one of the issues with the, the builder or contractor or, or developer appears to be, there's a curb on the Noe Street side of this project. I'm going to say I, I, lived, I lived three blocks away from this for a very long time. Um, there's a curb that juts right into the middle of the sidewalk, and I think it's a known issue because there's regularly um, cones on it and hazard tape on it. It, it. From what I can tell, it was built as part of this project being built. Uh, and I don't know if there are any plans to 
to do anything about that curb. Uh, maybe if the project owner has a comment on this. This does not in any way affect my, my um, I'm sorry, Commissioner Brown, can you explain? Is it its exterior and it's uh, the properties uh, kind of has a curb that juts into the sidewalk? Is that what it is? Well, it's so. a curb that's in the public right of way on the sidewalk. And when the sidewalk was reconstructed at the same time that this project was built, the, um, at the edge of the handicap ramp um, to go into the street at 21st and Noe, a curb was built at the edge of that ramp into a landscape to sort of um, at the edge of a landscaped area. But the curb continues past that landscaped area, I don't know, maybe two feet, a foot or two um, past it. So it's right in the middle of the passageway of the sidewalk. And it's, it's been a long-standing tripping hazard in this area. Um, so I, I want to say, you know, this is not in any way going to affect um, my consideration of the conditional use authorization. I think that the property owners have been put in a very difficult and challenging situation. And there's a lot of expense to rectify this. Um, but if the last I saw the curb is that curb is still there and uh, I hope it can be addressed one way or another. I'm just kind of putting it out here on my soapbox since I have the public forum right now. <laughs> Mr. Horn, did you want to try to address? I don't know if you're aware of this uh, condition that's being described. I'm no, I'm pulling up my Google Maps and we're looking at our plans here as well to try to understand. Correct. Thank you. Yeah, um, Jeff Horn, playing staff, trying to find some uh, my street photos if they show this curb. Yeah, I'm not too can't confirm right now what the the condition is of that construction. The you know, the, the curbs are not um, or the sidewalk layout and the. Uh, ADA accessibility requirements are not in the purview of the planning department in our review of those plans. Um, I would suspect that those were, um, the permit was likely, did go to DPW and was reviewed by Public Works um, prior to issuance and assumably was constructed to, well, maybe we could assume it was constructed in accordance to the plans as issued. <laughs> It's a big presumption as we're finding yes. out right now. Yeah, I <laughs> yeah, guess I would yeah. just maybe if the, maybe if the department, I, I can actually see it on Google Maps now, and I can even see the cones that the commissioner described in the street view um, that are there, and it does just look like the curb that's the planter boundary is just for some reason extending beyond that. There may be some public works reason why that's the case. I don't know. We don't know. But if staff could look into why that planner has been constructed that way, I think that would be good to know if that's got some rationale that we're just not aware of or if indeed it's erroneous and should be corrected um, as part of making sure that the sidewalk is safe. Does that sound all right, Ms. Wadi? Yep, we can absolutely reach out to Public Works. And Great, look thank into you. That. Commissioner Diamond? Thank you. A uh, question for Ms. Wadi. Uh, when this project was originally approved, nothing was recorded against the property with the conditions of approval, is that correct? Correct, because the DR was ultimately withdrawn. Um, so this wasn't a project that had any, I mean, DRs don't normally get recorded through a, no a notice of special restrictions either, but there were no conditions of approval per se. It was just a, a building permit. Um, so the building permit doesn't come with any title, um, title conditions or restrictions. Right, so I, I guess that reinforces the point that there's really nothing the current owner could have done aside from come down to the planning department, ask to see, see the entire file on the project, go through the plans and decide whether or not the plans actually reflect what was built. Right. I mean, I would presume most people who see that there's a CFC associated with the yep. project and there's no active violations, um, you know, usually those are two things that would jump out at somebody doing, during due diligence. But um, I think the fact that there was a CFC um, 
probably eliminated potential red flags or further uh, investigation. But yeah, there's nothing otherwise that would likely be coming with a packet of disclosures as, as far as I would know. Right. I mean, I think we can expect um, purchasers to review their title reports. And if anything's recorded against the property, they have knowledge of whatever's recorded. But aside from that, um, I think it's expecting too much of a uh, purchaser um, to go further than that. I mean, it it may be a question for us as to how much detail we want to record when we do NSRs, because when we record an NSR, do we just record the conditions or do we record that we don't record the documents and the drawings as well too, do we? It, it depends what document, um, what the NSR is associated with when it comes to the layout of, for example, like below market rate units on a larger project, mm -hmm. those floor plans are recorded against the deed. So you do actually have our like floor plans recorded. Um, but for your typical conditional use that comes through, um, if this was a 317 demolition that had a conditional use and our standard conditions of approval, it would have just been effectively a copy and paste of the conditions of approval um, into a notice of special restrictions with no plans. It, like the conditions from this will be recorded as an NSR. Is that correct? correct? <laughs> right. And I was just looking at them briefly, and there's no reference in the conditions of approval to the fact that it's a two-dwelling unit um, house. It's just the standard conditions. Maybe I missed you, it. Usually in the um, first, um, either the first condition or sort of the preamble before it's enumerated, um, there usually is a project description where it cites block and lot number. Um, I don't know, Jeff, if you... Well, Jeff Warren, plan staff. It, yeah, there's typically not a condition of approval that I'm familiar with for about the density, unless we're, um, unless that's something that the commission is actually wanting to impart onto a project to ensure a certain density. But well, it's just something to consider going forward. I mean, we're learning a lot from this horrendous project process, listening to Commissioner Moore it, outline what happened. It is. If I can bring your attention, page 15 on Exhibit mm -hmm. A. So exhibit A is the beginning of the conditions of approval. Yep. And the first paragraph under the header authorization, it does cite, you know, this is a 4,800 square foot, four story, two family dwelling. Okay. Well, yeah. then that is, that that's a very standard type okay. of language. That addresses yeah. my concern. Um, but in this particular case, there was no NSR. So there was no way for the typical property owner to have any knowledge or notice. Um, so I, I'll just go forward and make a motion to approve. Um, given the state that we're in. I'll second the motion. And that was a motion to approve with conditions? Mm -hmm. Yes. There's no further deliberation, commissioners. There is a motion that has been seconded to approve this matter with conditions. On that motion, Commissioner Braun? Aye. Commissioner Ruiz? Aye. Commissioner Diamond? Aye. Commissioner Imperial? Aye. Commissioner Koppel? Aye. Commissioner Moore? Aye. And Commissioner President Tanner? Aye. So moved, Commissioners, that motion passes unanimously seven to zero. And we'll place us on item 10 for case number 2020-007168 CUA for the property at 2 Lake Street. This is a conditional use authorization. And I believe Commissioner Diamond has a... Actually, before we jump in, uh, or I guess maybe we can make the... We have folks that are taking a break already, so we're going to take a break, and then we'll come oh. back in uh, about five minutes. Very good.
SFGovTV, San Francisco Government Television.
Okay, good afternoon and welcome back to the San Francisco Planning Commission hearing for Thursday, January 12th, 2023. Commissioners, we left off on item 10 for case number 2020-007168 Seaway at 2 Lake Street, a conditional use authorization, and I believe Commissioner Diamond has a request. Yes, thank you. Um, commissioners, I have various ties to this project which um, really render it impractical for me to be impartial. Uh, first, I was the lawyer for this project prior to joining the Planning Commission. I gave that up um, at the time uh, when I joined the Commission. But then a year later, I joined the board of Temple Emanuel, and um, I have recused myself from all board deliberations and committee deliberations at Emanuel regarding uh, the entitlements process. But I am also a donor to the project. Uh, so after conversations with the city attorney's office, um, they have determined that I have a conflict of interest um, and should be recused, and I would appreciate a vote of recusal. Thank you. Commissioner Moore? Uh, motion to recuse Commissioner Diamond. Second. Second. Thank you, Commissioners. On that motion, then, to recuse Commissioner Diamond, Commissioner Braun? Aye. Commissioner Ruiz? Aye. Commissioner Diamond? Aye. Commissioner Imperial? Aye. Commissioner Koppel? Aye. Commissioner Moore? Aye. And Commissioner President Tanner? Aye. So moved. Commissioner Diamond, you are hereby recused and will Thank request you. that you leave the chambers. <laughs> and while she's leaving the chambers, I just want to disclose that I did uh, conduct a site visit of the proper project um, with the project sponsor. So did I. Very good then. In President Tanner, oh, there we are. <laughs> good afternoon, President Tanner and commissioners. Monica Giacomucci, planning department staff. The item before you is a request for a conditional use authorization of a planned unit development pursuant to planning code sections 209.2, 303, and 304 to allow a floor area ratio or FAR of 2.3 to 1 and to modify the method of height measurement of an existing 88,690 square foot building known as Congregation Emanuel on a site in excess of one half acre within an RM1 zoning district and a 40X height and bulk district. The project site is 2 Lake Street, otherwise known as Congregation Emanuel. Congregation Emanuel is the oldest Jewish congregation on the West Coast, has existed in San Francisco since 1850, and has owned the project site since 1922. The existing congregation complex dates to 1925 and has a tripartite configuration with a prominent domed sanctuary to the north, a courtyard wing at the corner of Arguello Avenue and Lake Street, and a temple house wing at the corner of 2nd Avenue and Lake Street. The proposal would add 17,130 square feet of religious institutional and child care uses and approximately 4,900 square feet of open space. The planned unit development before you today would allow the project to exceed FAR controls under planning code section 124, which currently permit a building of approximately 102,000 square feet on the subject lot. The requested PUD modification would allow a building of approximately 105,000 square feet or an FAR of 2.3 to 1 versus um, the allowable approximately 2.25 to 1. The additional square footage is con concentrated within the courtyard wing and no increase in congregation size or school enrollment is proposed as part of the project. Similarly, the modification to the method of height measurement proposed under the PUD would not permit a net increase in the existing building height of the overall complex, but would rather allow the project to measure height from two different points along Arguello and Second Avenues, given the large size of the parcel. 
Height would be measured from the midpoint of the project site along Arguello Boulevard for the eastern portion of the property and from a midpoint on 2nd Avenue from the western portion of the property rather than one single point of measurement for the entire property. In addition to the building expansion, the project would allow for seismic safety and security upgrades and rehabilitate a considerable range of character-defining elements of the subject property. The project would also reinstate the building's main public entrance from the Arguello Avenue facade to the monumental arch at Lake Street, which was historically the building's main processional entry. The property had not been surveyed for historic significance prior to submittal of the application before you today and was subsequently found to be individually eligible for listing on the California Register of Historical Resources as part of the department's historic resource evaluation process. Since 2019, the project sponsor team has conducted substantial outreach efforts with the surrounding community, including four town hall meetings, several smaller meetings for specific neighbor groups, and approximately eight meetings with local community organizations. The project team also maintained a project website and public email address. Concerns and issues raised during the final mitigated negative declaration or FMND or MND public review period have been taken into consideration and incorporated into the final MND. Outside of MND public review, the department has received 77 letters in support of the project, with four from local community organizations, including the Jewish Community Center of San Francisco, St. John's Presbyterian Church, the Richmond Neighborhood Center, and the Planning Association for the Richmond. In their letters of support, proponents of the project cite the fact that the proposed seismic and security upgrades will allow Congregation Emanuel to continue serving its community safely and securely into the future, and that the project team conducted a thorough program of community engagement. Two members of the public have shared letters of opposition regarding existing traffic and noise and potential exacerbation of those issues, which could result from the project. In the time since your packets were published last week, um, two more letters of opposition were sent directly to you via email, and these letters concern the historic preservation of the aspects of the project, I'm sorry, and the department's Secretary of the Interior Standards Analysis. The department also received one final letter this morning um, from a neighbor who was concerned about impacts to street parking in the immediate vicinity of the project. On balance, the department finds that the project is consistent with the intent of the, uh, and the objectives and policies of the general plan. The purpose of the project is to protect and upgrade the existing nearly 100-year-old Congregation Emanuel building by improve, improving seismic strengthening and security measures. Although the project would alter a substantial historic resource, the overall increase to the building envelope is minor. It will be minimally visible from a public right-of-way, and it will not result in increased enrollment or congregation size. The department therefore recommends approval with conditions as provided in your staff report. This concludes my presentation. Um, I'm available to answer questions, and we also have my colleague, who is the environmental planner on this project, Jennifer McKellar, on WebEx, if you have any questions about the environmental determination. The project sponsor team will follow with a presentation, and we're all available if you have any questions. Thank you. Thank you, Monica. Um, project sponsor, you have a five-minute presentation. Five minutes. I, um, could we respectfully ask for 10 minutes? It's if we have additional questions, we can ask them, but thank you. We'll, have, we'll stick with the five minutes. Thank you. Five minutes. Okay. Very good. Um, thank you, commissioners, for considering Congregation Emanuel's project today, what we call Emanuel Next, and thank you for the planning staff for your incredible diligence. My name is David Goldman. I'm the executive director of Congregation Emanuel, and I've been honored to be involved with this project from its inception. 
Emmanuel has been an integral part of the fabric of San Francisco for more than 170 years, with over nearly a de uh, 100 years at Two Lake Street. Uh, we represent a congregation from nearly every zip code in San Francisco and as far away as Santa Rosa. Um, uh, to gather, to worship, to celebrate life, and to mourn its loss. But we're more than just a traditional synagogue. We practice a progressive, open Judaism within the Bay Area's interfaith and social justice communities. You're welcome to our MLK service this Friday with Third Baptist Church. I mean it. Uh, you're all invited. Um, because of this, we're regarded nationwide as a model for progressive Judaism. But our home on Two Lake Street no longer adequately supports this mission. At the most basic level, it's about safety and security. Emmanuel Next will build security into every area, importantly moving our children out of the current courtyard area and out of harm's way and providing the seismic resiliency that building currently lacks. And we'll replace decades old mechanical systems with environmentally friendly ones and the bulb out proposed at Arguello and Lake will make it safer to cross for everybody. Beyond these basic needs, we're adding new and improved classrooms and worship areas, um, and as said, restoring our historic entrance will dramatically increase transparency at the street level, uh, welcoming all who wish to enter. The future of Emmanuel depends on Emmanuel next. It will enable us to continue to worship in this open way and to make our mark on the neighborhood, our community in San Francisco. Thank you for your time this afternoon. I'd like to first introduce Tay Via from Coblenz, Patch, and Duffy, and then Felicia Dunham from Mark Caballero and Associates. Tay Via, Coblenz, Patch, Duffy, and Bass. I'll be brief, but I wanted to raise two important legal points. The first is that there were some recently received letters that purport to challenge the adequacy of the CEQA document. That period closed a while ago. That's not timely. That's not before you. So we wanted to be clear that those comments um, should not be considered unless they pertain to the CUPUD. Uh, PUD. The second is that those same letters request that there be an open-ended condition related to redesign of the project. And this commission has always been respectful of clear, enforceable, definite conditions. And that's especially important here where it's a religious institution that's protected under federal law, under RLUPA, and it's really important, even inadvertently, to stay clear of conditions that might impose undue burdens on uh, worship. So we encourage you to stay with the existing recommendations of staff, which include condition seven, which does provide that we'll work with the department on remaining project details, and we understand that to include the courtyard. Thank you. Thank you, commissioners, and Monica, and David and Tay. The goals of the project are, as David described, uh, to increase safety and security of the building at Two Lake while adding much needed space for gathering and education needs. Um, the Arthur Brown design was modeled after the Second Temple of Jerusalem, which had a central axial pr procession. Over, the, over time, the, that procession was eroded due to the need for accessibility. Um, an overview of the property is shown here. And um, overview of the property is shown here. The sanctuary occupies roughly half the site and no work is proposed in this area. The temple house in red will receive limited tenant interior improvements. Most of the work proposed is in the courtyard wing as Monica mentioned. The demolition affects approximately 12% of the total building area leaving nearly 90% of the building intact. The renovation is being uh, driven by the need to enhance accessibility and safety. You can see here the stairs uh, on Lake Street, which are not accessible, 
On the right, you can see temporary braces and the courtyard arches, which were added when the courtyard arcade was discovered to be a seismic risk and collapse hazard. Through the design, we coordinated extensively with Page and Turnbull. The project combines elements of restoration, repairs, and salvage of items. Here are some examples of the items to be salvaged. This is an um, image of the Arguello facade the way it is today, and then the way it is envisioned with the project, uh, with glass behind the original arches, enhancing the transparency to the courtyard as, ori as originally designed. This is the view from the corner of Lake and Arguello. And this is the um, a view of the completed project. You can see the changes are minimally visible from the public realm. You can see a glass rail at the perimeter of the roof terrace, enclosing a roof um, at a roof terrace where the which will be a new play space for the children. I am sorry, but that Thank is your you. time. Um, concluding project sponsor presentation, we should take public comment. Members of the public, this is your opportunity to address the commission. If you're in the chambers, please come forward and line up on the screen side of the room. If you're calling in remotely, you need to press star three. If you're on WebEx, raise your hand to get into the queue. Come on up. Good afternoon. Uh, my name is Steve Cohen. I'm a neighbor. I live directly across the street from the synagogue and I've, done, I've been living there for 34 years. So the purpose of my being here is to testify that uh, Temple Emmanuel has been a very good neighbor and they have committed themselves to uh, making sure that if there are any issues with neighbors that they're dealt with. Uh, perhaps the thing that I've noticed over the years the most is the commitment to keeping the building and the grounds around it clean and uh, usable along with the fact of significant expense that uh, they've gone through to make sure it's safe, a lot of security that's there. Uh, that would be point one. And the really, my only other point is that uh, the sensitivity of the synagogue to traffic has been uh, excellent because they provide, uh, if there's a major event, or a major holiday where there's expected to be a lot of people, and that may occur, whether it's Lake Street or Arguello, um, they have remote parking and bus service there, and that has served pretty well. In fact, if I had to compare it with the Claire Lilienthal School, which is just around the corner on Clay Street, their parents back up and block my driveway. So I'd, I'd ask if this was their thing, I'd just ask them to be a bit more sensitive <coughs> to it. So the second point is the, the uh, in effort at traffic mitigation has been successful, and I'm sure as the issues that may come up, smaller issues, that uh, the synagogue would do the same in a good neighborly way and make sure that things are appropriate. Um, thank you. Appreciate it very much. Good afternoon, commissioners. My name is Andrew Rosenthal, and I'm a parent of two children at the Emanuel Preschool. I'm here strongly in support of this project. Uh, my wife grew up right off Geary Boulevard. We still live in the neighborhood. Uh, the preschool is a critical part of our experience in San Francisco. Um, as parents of young children, safety is our number one priority. This project is an important way of addressing that concern 
and increasing the safety of our children and future children at the preschool. The preschool and the administration have been trusted partners for us around these concerns and as parents. Uh, as you probably heard, um, there is questions around seismic retrofit, there's questions around access of the children to the public, and the Emanuel Next project has, uh, is there to improve and support these, these concerns. Uh, the courtyard that you've heard a little bit about today is central to our experience as parents and to the children's experience at the courtyard in the preschool. It's where we drop our kids off. It's where we meet other parents. It's where we meet with the staff and the teachers. The courtyard is where our children's grandparents and thankfully even great-grandparents and other relatives, some of whom are elderly, are able to visit, learn about the school, interact with other students, interact with the staff. Um, the courtyard's critical and the Emanuel Next project pr provides a brand new, safe, and appropriate place for that kind of activity, as well as additional space for the children educationally. Uh, as an as a immediate resident in the neighborhood and as a parent, we've seen this process as transparent. We've been able to be involved throughout the entire time over a course of a number of years, and we see this process providing, and this project is providing benefits to us as parents today to us as parents who will have our children elsewhere by the time the project is done, a place we can come back and continue to meet with the parents we've met, the staff and administrators, and we see it as providing benefits to our neighborhood as well. So thank you very much for your consideration, and again, as a parent of two children in the preschool, I'm here in strong support of the Emanuel Next project. Good afternoon and thank you, commissioners. My name is Lori Coleman and I am a resident of San Francisco. I've been going to Emmanuel for 20 years. I plan to go for the next 40, hopefully, until I die. I'm a member and I also have two children. My children have grown up at Emmanuel and um, I reiterate my concerns for safety, but I'll go one step further. So um, focusing on the need for additional classroom space and, and just program space, specifically during the pandemic, my daughter, who's a sixth grader, she was that one range of grades that for some reason they just, they ran out of classrooms and space for them. So I really would appreciate and, and absolutely understand that right now we have outgrown our current space. So um, allowing this project to, to develop will address a lot of the programming concerns that are real for parents. And I uh, also have concerns about the security with the children at the grade level um, and elevating the, the playground. Um, and I... Um, just appreciate your support for the project and hope you vote in a favor. Thank you. Hello, my name is Kirsten Mulberg. I am a 27-year resident of San Francisco and a member of Congregation Emanuel. I'm here today to ask for your support for the Emanuel Next project. And for me, it really comes down to three things. You've heard it so far, one is safety. When you look at the rise in anti-Semitism and what we are seeing across the country and even within our own city, it is absolutely imperative not just to protect the safety of the children, but all of the residents in the area, all of the congregants of Emmanuel, and I think that safety is really important. 
seismic safety and the retrofits that are, that are going to be part of this program, earthquake in San Francisco is inevitable. We need to make sure that we are prepared and that we have taken all of the necessary precautions to take care of anyone who is in and around the building in the event of an earthquake. The second is community health. We look at the impact that COVID-19 had on the mental health, the physical health of all of the residents, not only of San Francisco, but of the entire nation. And this is a project that's going to provide more community space to allow people to come together and connect. We see how important that is to the health of the community. And being able to be a leader in the area of bringing folks together and helping to ensure the longevity and the health of the residents of San Francisco. And finally, it's, it's personal for me. I am a mother of two children who are now adults. I don't get to say I have children anymore. I get to say I have adults. And the adults that I have would not be the adults that they are had they not had an opportunity to have the education that they had at Emmanuel. My daughter, Margot Wolberg, is currently a rabbinical student studying in Jerusalem. And the inspiration and actually physically being able to, to be there, see her role models, and connect with a future that just so deeply spoke to her I want that opportunity. I want every mother to be able to say my daughter's going to be a rabbi because I tell you what, that is amazing. Uh, and, and I really do believe that this project is really essential to continue to have a thriving Jewish community within San Francisco. It is so very important. Um, as Jews, we talk about the fact that it, it's not the temple. You know, we practice our faith and it's in our homes. And I deeply believe that, but if it were not for the physical space of this temple, I know fundamentally my children would not have the Jewish identity that they have today. And that is so critically important. Thank you, ma'am, but that is your time. Thank you. Okay, any other member of the public in the chambers wishing to speak? Okay, we're gonna go to our remote callers. Again, when you hear that you're being asked to unmute yourself, you need to press star six. Good afternoon, uh, President Tanner and commissioners. My name is Jonathan Perlman. I want to start by saying that I've been following this project with great interest for many reasons. As an architectural historian, an architect with a personal involvement in this building, and as a Jewish San Franciscan. Congrega uh, Congregation Emanuel is not an official San Francisco landmark under the rules of Chapter 10 of the Planning Code, but it is a landmark in Presidio Heights for the city at large and is a very significant historical resource. Under CEQA and San Francisco's preservation criteria for evaluating historic structures, the building is significant in three categories, associated with events, associated with lives of important people, and it embodies distinctive characteristics of a type and represents the work of a master, actually two masters, Bakewell and Brown and Bernard Maybeck. I believe that this project is on a whole very well designed and hopefully will be executed to benefit Congregation Emanuel for generations to come. However, I believe that decisions made for the design of the courtyard area of the building violate some very basic tenets 
of historic preservation. Congregation Emanuel is made up of three parts as was described in the presentation. Um, it is, the functions are different, but the uh, spatially they're all uh, connected in the complex by its Byzantine revival design vocabulary. This style is incredibly unique, certainly for San Francisco, and is a rarely used design style in the entire United States. The project violates the Secretary of Interior standards. The project is intended to demolish the courtyard portion of the building and replacing it with a sleek, modern cur curtain wall structure. Um, actually, Mr. Ionan, if you could put up the second page of that uh, letter, I'd appreciate it. Um, it violates three of the standards. Standard two, that the historic character of the property be retained and preserved. This project destroys significant historic, historic character of the building by destroying the courtyard. Standard five, distinctive materials, features, finishes, and construction techniques or examples of craftsmanship that characterize a property will be preserved. Distinctive materials and features are being destroyed. And you can see in this before and after photo, the arches, the columns, the car stone capitals, the fountain in the center are all being destroyed. And then standard nine talks about new additions and exterior alterations that will not destroy historic material features. The new work will be differentiated from the old and be compatible with historic materials. The design of the courtyard destroys historic materials features that characterize this property and the new work in no way is compatible. It is in fact a stark contrast as a modern insertion into this Byzantine and Roman space. Um, so I, I wanted to ask you all, uh, commissioners, to imagine walking into City Hall on your way to this meeting and coming in from the east side and walking in. Mr. Perlman, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but that is your time. Okay. Well, thank you. I, I urge you to add condition of approval to redesign the courtyard to respect and be Hello, my name is Christine Madrid French. I'm the Director of Advocacy and Programs at San Francisco Heritage, speaking on behalf of the organization, and thank you for this opportunity. We are pleased to have uh, this chance to comment on the proposed project, which is expansive and challenging. We've reviewed the proposal with the project development team on several occasions since 2020. And while we support the overall goals of the project, we continue to have serious concerns about the treatment of the courtyard where character-defining features, including the brick paving and colonnades, as you saw, will be demolished and the loss of historic character, feeling, and patina will be in favor of a hard-edged glass and metal minimalist treatment, not in keeping with the feeling of the original building. These changes will result in the permanent erasure and non-reversible change to features and spaces that express the significance of Temple Emmanuel. The treatment of the courtyard and demolition of these character-defining features is a preservation loss in our opinion. We feel it would be preferable if the courtyard insertion was treated as a layering through which one can read the history of the building rather than being replaced with the new glass curtain wall system. As noted in the HRER and agreed by city planners, the proposed project does not meet the Secretary of the Interior Standards for Rehabilitation. We urge the Commission to add a condition of approval regarding a redesign of the courtyard, which would be more compatible with the existing architecture. Thank you. 
My name is Eric Hom, and I live directly across the street on Arguello Boulevard. Um, I do like the design of this project, but I ask for there be improvements in safety for traffic, uh, as well as as well as usage requirements for this uh, new courtyard. Uh, right now, we currently hear the kids playing in the yard, and it's great. Um, it will be elevated. Their playground will be elevated to upstairs levels, and it will actually the the dome area of the, the courtyard already acts like a large echo chamber. Um, if they have events at night that are outside on the, on the school yard, it makes a significant amount of noise and the, and the temple does not enforce uh, noise ordinances by turning things off at 10 o'clock. Uh, it's becoming increasingly um, used uh, for outdoor activities and uh, with loud amplified sound, which in the past has always been told they're not supposed to use in the courtyard. Um, as far as traffic and safety for the for the congregation, uh, I totally am in agreement that there needs to be more done. But um, as my neighbor says, they people back up into the driveways, but they do on everybody's driveway in the street. It is very dangerous. Um, the city needs to work with SFMTA in terms of uh, double parking. I've had towed many cars over the, over the years. Um, and also, it's a distended street. So right now, currently, with uh, slow streets on 2nd Avenue, that will be a dead end, basically, for most people when they're dropping people off on the Lake Street side. And there is traffic coming from Sacramento and California that may not see that, as well as the bikes that come out of the Presidio um, uh, won't be able to make that right turn with double-parked cars already blocking the lane on Arguello and then on to Lake Street. So there is there needs to be some coordination that done there. Um, we've recently had, for the first time in, since my parents moved there in 1969, we had um, a robbery across the street of a lady at five o'clock in the morning. Um, we had, uh, I, and I know that the, the, the line for the congregation, they've had a couple incidences where uh, kids were in serious danger during the, during the pickup time um, from outsiders. So I ask that there be some coordination of security. I think the bulb out is not gonna help. It's actually gonna make things worse. There, needs, there used to be signage on the street uh, for pedestrians. And the other night when it was raining hard, I had an elderly couple that was coming either from St. John's or from uh, the temple. And I almost ran them over because they were crossing in the middle of the street and could not tell uh, that they weren't supposed to be crossing there um, because the traffic was coming from around the corner. And I was coming from a standstill, and only up like 10 miles an hour. But they were, they were not visible, and um, it's, so it's really dangerous. But they fix the, uh, the traffic there. Maybe put some speed bumps, better signage to say you can't. Thank you, Mr. Here. Horn. That is your time. Thank you. Again, when you're asked to unmute yourself, you need to press star six. Mr. Allen, did you ask to have me unmuted again? Oh, I guess uh, you've, no, I, I'm. I'd be happy to keep speaking, but I don't I'm sure you would, Mr. Speak. Perlman, but uh, we're gonna go to the next caller. <laughs> Unfortunately, it jumbles the call order.
Mr. Smith, you need to unmute yourself. Did that work? It did. <laughs> okay, thank you so much. Uh, it's a, a pleasure to be here speaking on behalf of this project for uh, Temple Emmanuel. I uh, live in the neighborhood on 2nd Avenue and I work closely with over 50 families in this neighborhood on all sorts of issues related to uh, uh, safety, helping each other, street safety, um, quality of, this, uh, of the neighborhood, uh, health services for people, and so on and so on. Uh, my comment is not related at all to the quality of the architecture and so on. Uh, I'm sure that'll be worked out in a, in a reasonable way. I do want to s express the support of myself and all of the neighbors who I have been in contact with, with uh, Temple Emanuel uh, as a neighbor, uh, as a wonderful neighbor, as, as a good uh, uh, part of our community, always responsive, to uh, issues uh, that we may want to raise with them. Uh, a beautiful place for many of the children in the neighborhood to go to school, to families, uh, to worship, and so on. So what I'm saying quite simply is that the basic thrust of this project, in, in other words, to upgrade this wonderful institution and make it a better place for the community has our full support. We have no reason at all, based on all of our experience with the congregation and the congregation management and leadership, to have any question at all that things will proceed in a, uh, uh, in a wonderful manner for everybody. So I'll keep that short and simple and just express support of our community and our thanks to the synagogue for continuing to improve itself. Thank you so much. Melissa Konigsberg, and I have been a member of Emmanuel for 10 years, um, I relocated from the East Coast and joined when we moved here. Um, the congregation has really been a big part of our life and our community. My children attended the preschool for nine years and we also live on Third Avenue um, between Lake and California, so we're also neighbors. Um, I echo a lot of the comments about the security and also the space limitations, um, especially during COVID. It was really challenging. And I urge you to approve Emmanuel Next because the building and the congregation are such an integral part of our family's life. Um, we had our daughter's baby naming on the steps in the courtyard along with her traditional Korean first birthday, and we've celebrated so many life cycle events there. And so I just wanted to speak um, in support of the temple. And I also wanted to tell the neighbor who uh, said something about Claire Lilienthal, I'll make sure to pass it on because 
my kids also attend uh, Claire Lilienthal. So thank you so much, and I urge you uh, to approve this project. Mr. Sasson. Mr. Sasson, you need to unmute yourself. Hear me? Yes, we can. Okay, so sorry for that. I was having some audio difficulties. Uh, my name is Jeremy Sassone, and I'm calling as a member of the congregation, um, as a parent of a current and future preschooler, and also as um, a neighbor who I live on Lake Street between 5th and 6th. Um, I'm calling to urge the approval of uh, Emmanuel next, um, I think for two reasons. One, the seismic upgrades are much needed and we'll be uh, you know, providing safety to those who are uh, attending events and going to school at the building. Secondly, the security improvements will be well needed for both the preschool students and anybody um, seeking to worship with peace of mind that they'll be able to do so in a safe manner. Um, so I thank you commissioners for your time this afternoon and again, urge uh, strong support of this uh, project. Thank you so much. Thank you. Okay, last call for public comment. Again, if you're in the chambers, please come forward. If you're calling in remotely, you need to press star three or raise your hand via WebEx. And when you receive a request to unmute yourself, you need to press star six or unmute yourself on WebEx. Hello? Yes. My name is Terry Krause. I thank you for your time this afternoon. I am calling as the retired director of membership for Congregation Emmanuel after 16 years. I'm back on the staff in a temporary position. I'm a longtime congregant, and I'm really delighted to express my support for Emmanuel next. My office was deemed to be in part of the area that would be at risk if we didn't do this project. So certainly uh, safety and security are very much on my mind. But I also want to think about what change means. And change means loss. And I think that's what we're hearing from some of the folks who are concerned about the changes to the courtyard. And I agree, we are changing the courtyard because we are choosing people over bricks, frankly. We're creating spaces in the courtyard for small group meetings. We completely lack enough space there for people to interact. We've learned during the pandemic how important human connection is. And human connection is, is formed by creating relationships. And relationships are created when you are face-to-face -face with people in your beloved community. And that's what Emmanuel does for our congregants. And as David said, we're there to celebrate. We're there to mourn. I've been to tens of, of, of memorial services and funerals. 
at the synagogue and seeing how important it is for people to have that community around them. We need these changes to continue to provide that kind of support for our congregants and for the larger community. Um, we are a, a disaster relief area for St. Anne's, and certainly we want to be as secure and safe as we can during an earthquake so that folks in the neighborhood can come to us for shelter. So I strongly urge your support of Emmanuel next. Thank you. Okay, final last call for public comment. Seeing no additional requests to speak, commissioners, public comment is closed and this matter is now before you. Thank you very much. Um, I do have a few questions in particular. I'd like the architect to come back and explain a little bit about some of the changes with a focus on the courtyard changes, the preschool, and the additional um, classroom and meeting space that's going to be created through this proposed redesign. Thank you. I'm happy to answer any questions. Go ahead. Oh, can I use visuals? Yes. <laughs> yes. Okay. SFGov, can we go to the computer, please? And it's a little shorter, but there's the microphone that's that's there as well if you want to use that. I, I know it's awkward either way, so. I, I'll make it work. <laughs> okay, it's up, I see. Um, so I'll, fast, I'll go forward a little bit. This is a, the existing um, entry. This is the existing section through the building. So in the courtyard, what we're doing is we're creating a new lobby off of Lake Street. We're creating that lobby at grade so that it's accessible. In doing so, we to, and to maintain that historic procession, we are pushing the stairway further into the, into the site. Um, but, but, and enclosing that entry lobby with glass in the monumental arch. Now the glass is placed behind all the ornamentation, so you still get the full reading of the historic detail. Um, glass is used so that you can see through. Right now it's just open, it's open air. It lets light, sound, vision, all of those things just permeate in and out of the courtyard, which is possibly leading to some of the concerns about noise. By placing glass there, that should help keep the sound inside and also provide some interior space that's more usable for the congregation. Um, as we go inside the courtyard, this is what it looks like today. And here's the rendering that was in Mr. Perlman's letter. Um, showing glass on either side. Now the glass was selected for a couple of reasons. One is to maintain that transparency, the view from outside on the street to inside in the courtyard as was originally envisioned by Arthur Brown. Glass is the only thing that's gonna give us that. Um, we selected a bronze color for the mullions so that it's sympathetic with the historic materials elsewhere in the building. In the courtyard specifically, we held that glass wall back away from the historic facade so that you still get the full reading of the original architectural composition. So in doing that, we feel it's being deferential to the historic building, really focusing and featuring the sanctuary, but there is no denying we, we are demolishing the courtyard, which is necessary to add the additional space, do the excavation underground that we need to do. Um, the project is adding approximately 19% uh, to the area, to existing area of the building. And could maybe comment on the surfacing of the new courtyard? I think now it's brick, and we heard a little bit too about the bricks changing out and just how you kind of settle on the materials that are used in the courtyard. Um, we are looking at, the materials are actually not settled, and we are happy to work with the planning department on the finalization of those materials. Um, our, th this rendering here is showing a travertine, which is similar to the original steps and some of the stone detailing within the brick. 
Um, but we are open to exploring other materials. And then can you talk a little bit about the relocation of the preschool and the play area for the preschool as well? Yes, the, the preschool is currently, um, the classrooms are on the basement and first floor of inside the temple house. Um, there are, there's a grouping of classrooms up on the fourth floor. Um, the congregation had placed some screening material behind the bronze gates to mitigate kind of views into the courtyard because that is where the children play. Uh, they, we, part of the project is to bring the children up to the roof terrace where they will be kind of out of, more out of sight and the cl there's classrooms at that same fourth floor level that are immediately adjacent to the, to the roof terrace, providing a, a contiguous preschool up at that level. Right. And then I think there's going to be some additional classrooms uh, for the congregational use as well. They'll be Correct. reconstructed? Yes. So you can see that the, around the courtyard, this is the courtyard looking the other way. Around the courtyard, those are all classrooms. Those are not for the preschool. Those are for their adult and youth programs. But yes, the, the classrooms surrounding the courtyard and the use of glass there, uh, the transparency helps with that sense of connection and, and, and building community that was so important to this project. Great, thank you. Commissioner Moore. While you are there, would you mind explaining the attitude towards the fountain uh, for, for a visitor like myself that has a very strong centering uh, marking arrival in the complex and this fountain has disappeared and it will be replaced by a light well, uh, could, by a skylight. Could you uh, explain the thought behind that? Yes, well, um, first just know that the fountain is a topic of much debate, uh, not just here, but <laughs> among the congregation themselves. Um, in, this, in this rendering here, that skylight is where the fountain is located now. So, the fountain is large. It's approximately 12 feet by 12 feet by 12 feet high. So it's, and we're not really sure where, there's investigations going on to see how exactly it's constructed because the intent is to salvage it. To salvage it and there's thoughts of taking it, then the question is, okay, where does it go? We have embarked on studies that locate, relocate the fountain as part of the project. We don't even know if that's actually possible, but we are exploring it. Is it because of its weight or because of its size? We don't have any drawings that show how it's constructed. It is a little bit size, but it's also weight, and we just don't know how it's put together, how it's attached to the existing structure, because that brick courtyard, that's not bricks on dirt or on grade. It's actually on an elevated slab. We don't know if the fountain is part of that slab, if it was placed on the slab, how, how it's actually assembled. So there is some investigation work going on right now to figure all those things out. Figure out, one, can we salvage it? What's the best way to salvage it? Can we only salvage parts of it? Do you reconstruct parts of it? And can we place it in the courtyard? So we're, we're looking at all of those things. It is not off the table. When the building is full of memory pieces, the colonnade itself, the, the column as a piece of art, the bull-nosed uh, travertine stairs, which I commented on, it's kind of like you want to hold on to all these parts and pieces. The question is how can we create a memory of those pieces in order to actually address the questions raised by Heritage and Mr. Perlman. Uh, I'm personally in full support of the project, seriously, significantly impressed by what I saw, including the care uh, about how the community, together with the architect, went over changes that are inevitable. That is slight growth, 
better gathering spaces, even for back of office, et cetera, together with the elements of seismic safety, security, and uh, expanded space. Uh, uh, while I have the full support, I would encourage very much the suggestion made by the attorney to indeed encourage you to continue the dialogue because there is a lot, a lot to be gained, but there's also a lot to be lost. Uh, and once it's lost, it's gone. Uh, and to take that pause, get with, and I'm not speaking for the rest of the commission, you know, get the approval, but continue the dialogue, continue the work, and put down additional where the pencil needs to be to soften decisions and uh, perhaps gain something which at this moment is perhaps not clear to everybody. Uh, I'm in full support of the project and I'm prepared to make a motion, but I would like to see if my fellow commissioners want to speak. If not, I make a motion to approve with the uh, request to continue working with staff and addressing the issues that were raised. I'll second that motion. And I will just add, um, I think the, I think you summed up very well, Commissioner Moore, things, some things are perhaps lost and other things are gained. And I think that what definitely is gained for this project and for the city is the future existence of the congregation in this building and its new life in the next hundred years or who knows how long. And it just, um, I totally respect those from SF Heritage who have some things they'd like to see and some changes they'd like to make. Um, and at the same time, I think it's important to to be able to capture and save what we can and also think about this is a living building that has a life and a purpose and this will allow it to continue to fulfill that purpose which is I think more important than just the building and the edifice itself but how does it function for the folks who are using it and especially as a preschool. So anything we can do to keep preschools operational and functional and viable in the city I think is something that we, we need to do. With that I don't see any other commissioners who have hands to speak. Um, did you have a question ma'am? Thank you, I appreciate the letting me ask the question. I just wanted to clarify, just to make sure we're clear on the condition, um, that it is already reflected in condition seven, but that you're requesting that we continue to work with, um, with staff and understood completely. As Felicia mentioned, we realize there's some work to be done on pursuing to that condition. Thank you so much, we appreciate it. Yes, thank you. Commissioners, there is a motion that has been seconded to approve this matter with conditions, recognizing that uh, the project sponsor will continue working with staff. On that motion, Commissioner Braun? Aye. Commissioner Ruiz? Aye. Commissioner Imperial? Aye. Commissioner Koppel? Aye. Commissioner Moore? Aye. And Commissioner President Tanner? Aye. So move, Commissioners, that motion passes unanimously six to zero. Commissioners, that will place us on item under your discretionary review calendar for item 11, case number 2021-008669 DRP for the property at 627 16th Avenue. This is a discretionary review. And if those persons exiting could do so quietly, we would certainly appreciate it. If those persons exiting could do so quietly, we would certainly appreciate it. I think I can. Oh, okay. Oh, so I said, oh, yeah. 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 Ye
Great. Good afternoon, Commissioners. David Winslow, Staff Architect. The item before you is a public-initiated request for discretionary review of building permit application number 2021.0715.4484 to construct a three-story rear horizontal addition to a three-story, one-family dwelling. The existing building is a Category B age-eligible historic resource built in 1918. The DR requester, Wendy Cowan of 626 17th Avenue, the neighbor to the west of the proposed project is concerned that it does not comply with the general plan policies 1.1 and 3.3 to plan for a range of housing needs and maintain a balance of affordability and does not adhere to the residential design guidelines related to privacy. Her proposed alternatives are to provide a stormwater prevention plan, consider adding a multifamily home above the single family home, uh, and incorporate <laughs> landscaping with privacy screens into their proposal. To date, the department has received no letters in support, nor any letters opposing the project. Staff supports the proposed addition as it complies with both the planning code and the residential design guidelines. The massing of the addition moderates the scale of the adjacent building in depth and height with five foot side setbacks at the second and third floors, ensuring adequate access to light to the adjacent buildings. The rear wall of the DR requester is over 80 feet away from the proposed rear wall of the second and third floor of this project, an ample and normative distance that exceeds the width of typical San Francisco streets um, to ensure adequate privacy is maintained. Therefore, staff does not see any undue burden to, uh, that the project poses to privacy. Um, and while the planning department always encourages additional units and projects, compelling additional density is beyond our purview. Likewise, the issue of stormwater is beyond the planning department's ability to regulate and uh, review. Therefore, staff deems that there are no exceptional and extraordinary circumstances and recommends not taking discretionary review. Thank you. DR requester, you have a five minute presentation. Is the DR, DR requester? requester present? Okay, if the DR requester is not present, then uh, project sponsor, you have a five-minute presentation. <coughs> Where do I plug in the USB? You need to unplug the mouse. Hi, my name is Anita, and I'm um, the project sponsor. Um, I'm going to start with the the proposed addition and how it sits relatively among the existing um, in relation to the existing neighbor properties. Um, with our proposed addition, um, current with the proposed addition, it sits two feet ten inches shorter than the neighbor. The right adjacent neighbor. Um, so, from the proposed addition to the rear, 626 is the direct rear uh, neighbor. So, in relation to their property, is currently, <coughs> sorry, is current. It will be 129 and a half feet. Um, next one. 
So the neighbor's concern is stormwater and privacy. Um, so we came up with a few proposals. Um, the currently, they share, currently share a two, two feet high retaining wall um, and the, the rear yard is downhill slope. Um, so we do, <clears throat> so we do propose um, something like the neighbor, a taller retaining wall with a higher fence. Um, we still have to talk to the neighbor regarding the height issue, but that is something that we can do if they like. Um, <clears throat> in addition to that, we are proposing landscaping along the perimeters of the fence um, at the rear lot. Um, there's still um, quite a few unknown factors that we can't address yet. Um, like for example, the layout of the overall landscape plans, like due to the slope of the yard, we don't know um, if drains will work. Um, we need to talk, we need to consult with a plumber um, and of course, the owner has a large family. <laughs> he has a lot on his plate. He needs to consult with his wife, his three young children, his parents, and his in-laws. Um, and most importantly, we need to know if there will be additional comments from the building department um, before we can finalize on the landscape plans. Um, I'll leave the floor plan for the owner to address, but I do have a few words um, for the owner and the neighbor. Um, we did have issues connecting with the neighbor, um, so I believe communication and honesty is very important. Um, we are still in the early stages of the project, um, and I believe Me. We're still early in stages of the project, and as neighbors, I hope issues can be resolved. Um, possible issues, right, that may arise can be reasonably resolved among ourselves. Thank you. If that concludes the project sponsor presentation, I'll ask again if the uh, DR requester Sorry, is present. I think Mr. Iona, did you want to speak, sir, as part the of this owner? project sponsor? Oh, yeah, you have time. Go ahead. I'm the owner, so. My name is Zen. So actually, I'm the owner. Um, I actually, I personally, I wish the neighbor, but in 2021, all those Zoom public meeting. So we listen to any concern from the neighbor, the left or the right, fun. So whatever the request, privacy space fit the neighborhood. We all reduce the size. Unfortunately, it's already reduced a lot. I have a family of nine, actually. My parents, my wife's parents, we both single child. I have three kids, so a family of nine. I start, originally when we proposed is three storage, so almost 4,000. Now we only reduced like 3,000 feet. And right now, when we purchased house two and a half years ago, um, we trying to plan it ahead. So we talked to the neighbor, the plan we follow every requirement, a CD request. So right now, certainly, and just last three months, they want us to the DR, and we all follow. I, I wish her personally on the phone, on email, she did not reply anything. I proposed my um, concern, what address, everything. I talked to my engineer and structure. I can do this to address your concern, but no response. 
Um, and also for now, I, I don't know what I can do because we already do everything I can to reach the neighbor. Even though on my white side neighbor, I have a window, they have a privacy concern, so I just closed all the window on my white side. So I tried to adjust the concern. I closed all the window on third floor, so the left other neighbor, more light, more privacy. Um, and the project right now, we been holding more than two and a half year. With Sir, no that is your time now. Okay, thank you. You will have a two minute rebuttal if you need it. I'm gonna ask if the DR requester is here and would like to speak. If not, we'll go to public comment. Members of the public, this is your opportunity to address the commission. If you're in the chambers, please come forward. If you're calling in remotely, you need to press star three or raise your hand via WebEx. Seeing no request to speak, commissioners, public comment is closed and project sponsor, you have a two minute rebuttal if you need to use it. Sir, if you want to continue your comments, you could continue your comments. You have two or... more minutes. Yes, yes. So I really want to work with the neighbor because I continue to talk to the neighbor on the two side, both in the lab, I have a phone number. I've been visiting, even this person, Wendy, who was concerned at that. I talked to her personally three times on the yard to yard in person. I adjust the concern she has. Um, just so early, I'm gonna get you a plan because right now we're still in just planning. I don't have any construction idea because I'm not an engineer. So I talked to the structure engineer as what we can do to adjust our concern, um, but we got no response. So I, it just, we do everything we can for our side. I talked to the structure engineer decide to what we can. Um, we purchased house two years ago. I have three kids when they're two, four, six. After two and a half year now, they have four, six, eight. We're still waiting for this waiting to approve. Um, I wish you all can see on my side, been holding everything I can. I have been paying the mortgage for this house empty right now for more than two and a half years, just waiting for this. And then I have nine people to feed. So imagine how much stress I can be into. Three kids, four parents, and a mortgage for this house for two and a half year, just waiting for this approved. And then another year just do whatever we need to fix this house. So um, like the previous owner about house, we have a gym to come here in San Francisco. I don't think that was so bad because when we have kids, I need more space because expanding our family. Now we have nine people claiming so small space, just waiting for this plan to approve so we can continue our journey. And, and uh, we've been living here for so long. I immigrated here 20 years ago, so I, with my parents, try to get a family here, but currently this is our wood block. I don't know what to do with nine people small and live in small, tiny space. Thank you, sir. Thank that you. is Thank your you, time. Commissioner. Very good, commissioners. That concludes this the project sponsor's presentation to you. Thank and you. This matter yes. is now before you. Indeed, uh, I just want to thank you, sir, for coming here. I'm, uh, you know, disappointed that your neighbor didn't show up. That they took the time to um, pause your project with this discretionary review, but not the time to attend to make the case for why they needed to pause it. I will say, my understanding, Mr. Winslow, is that you know we do have folks uh, manage their stormwater, but that's not part of the planning process. That's on the de building department side. And so, to the degree the project sponsor is paying attention, the stormwater will be managed, and that's part of the process. That's going to be ongoing and not really under our purview. Um, and so, it's not something we can address today. I don't see any unusual or exceptional circumstances, commissioners. Mm -hmm. Commissioner Koppel. Move to approve. Second.
On that motion, commissioners, to not take DR and approve the project as proposed. Commissioner Braun? Aye. Commissioner Ruiz? Aye. Commissioner Diamond? Aye. Commissioner Imperial? Aye. Commissioner Koppel? Aye. Commissioner Moore? And Commission President Tanner? Aye. So moved, commissioners. That motion passes unanimously 7 to 0. Good luck to you, sir. And sorry for your trouble, sir, but thank you for coming here and wish your family luck once your uh, renovation is finally complete. Thank you. I work for the city, so I totally understand you guys' frustration. <laughs> it, just, it just have to follow the rules. I understand. Thank you, sir. Commissioners, you, that sir. will place us on the final item on today's agenda, number 12, <laughs> case number 2020-001606DRP for the property at 316 through 318 Chestnut Street, also a discretionary review. Before we begin, Commissioner Diamond's going to make a disclosure. Yes, I noticed on the application that the DR requester, Mr. John Yolis, um, I saw his name, he and I serve on a nonprofit uh, committee together. That will not affect my ability to be impartial on this project. Thank you. Very good. Thank you. Uh, good afternoon again, Commissioners. David Winslow, Staff Architect. The item before you is a public initiated request for discretionary review of building permit application number 2020.0124.2722 to construct a private roof deck on a three-story, three-family dwelling. The existing building is a Category B age-eligible resource built in 1907. The DR requester, John Yolas, of 300 Chestnut Street, the property to the east of the project, is concerned that it is uh, makes a non-complying condition more non-complying and would significantly impact light and privacy. His proposed alternatives are to make the railing more transparent, reduce the deck size, eliminate the stair penthouse, limit clutter and furnishings. To date, the department has received no letters in support and no letters opposing the project. Staff does not support the size and location of the roof deck as it is uh, currently designed as it poses impacts to privacy and violates our longstanding policy of um, buffering roof decks. Um, the full lot coverage and height of the subject building in relation to the context of shorter surrounding buildings that form a tightly knit uh, pattern in a key lot situation is an exceptional and extraordinary circumstance. If a roof deck is appropriate, it requires a soft touch to preserve the privacy of neighboring buildings. The stair penthouse, though, however, is minimal and located well back from view from the street. Um, however, it also appears that an existing stair may already be uh, able to provide access to the roof. Therefore, staff deems there are exceptional and extraordinary circumstances and recommends taking discretionary review uh, and approving with the following mod modifications. One, setting deck, uh, the deck back a minimum of five feet from all building edges uh, and reduce, reducing it in size to assure adequate privacy. And second, the uh, removal of what is a, the proposed solid roof parapet um, on the surrounding building edges, which would not actually be allowed in this circumstance by code anyway, given the, the non-complying location of the deck and the allowance of non-complying deck to be on a roof as long as the railing is transparent and not solid. So, thank you. That concludes staff presentation. DR requester, you have a five-minute presentation. Dear President Tanner, Vice President Moore, and Planning Commissioners, my name is Peter Yallis. I'm a minority owner along with my brother John 
and Sister Cindy of the two-unit building located at 300-302 Chestnut Street that requested your review of the project. I'm going to read the following letter on behalf of my brother who submitted the DR application and is traveling today. I have copies for each of the commissioners and staff here if you'd like to hand these out, which have some figures in the back as well. Thank you so much. So good evening, Commissioner, staff, and Director Hillis. We are before you reluctantly, as we know this item is not a significant one for you, but it is for us and our family, especially our 83-year-old mother, the majority owner, who previously occupied this building and for whom it is her largest asset supporting her in retirement. We are only here because after lengthy effort, we have failed to reach a compromise with the applicant just yesterday evening. Planning had offered to mediate a reconciliation meeting, which we agreed to. Regrettably, this meeting did not occur. There is one important piece of information that um, was mentioned earlier, which is that the project is on a non-complying structure. Um, the original neighbor notice, dated October 22nd, did have a non-complying structure listed here, but it is not listed in the information printed today. Um, The reason the subject property is non-compliant is that it is an RH3 district, which requires a 45% rear yard, it, yet it has zero rear yard. So please uh, appreciate it if you take this into account. Our request tonight is that commission deny the project based on the following. One, the project is on a non-complying structure, as mentioned earlier, um, and its approval would add to the degree of nonconformity by locating the deck squarely in the nonconforming portion of the building where the rear yard would have been. Two, the proposed addition would adversely impact the privacy of our residents. The elevation of the proposed deck, even though located on a roof structure built downslope from ours, would be approximately five feet higher than our top floor. So when people stand, if, um, on the proposed deck, they would be approximately 10 to 11 feet higher than our top floor. So if I was standing on that new deck, my eyes would be five feet higher than that deck. They would be approximately, my eyes would be up there looking right down onto my adjacent property. Um, so the notion of a downslope maximum height project, being able to build an even taller structure than the adjacent uphill structure fundamentally violates planning principles and the intent of the code to protect light, air, and privacy, and yes, views, and in so doing will impair the enjoyment of our home. Approving the deck as proposed would effectively read like a wall in the sky. Number three, the proposed improvements would have a material adverse impact on our property's value. Like all property owners in San Francisco, we paid top dollar having done diligence on our rights and limitations, as well as those limitations of 318 Chestnut, including that it was already non-complying and built to its maximum height, depth, and square footage. This was factored into our purchase price. Approving the deck in any shape or form will adversely impact the value of the property. If commission does not deny the project, we then ask it to approve with the following three conditions. These conditions represent the compromises we offered and attempted to reach with the applicant. One, move the deck location. The deck, uh, we propose the deck be moved toward the front of the property with a setback of approximately 10 feet from Chestnut Street, 
where we would have fewer privacy and property value impacts and would be outside the non-complying rear yard portion of the building. Two, we ask that there be transparent railings, and it was mentioned earlier, which we appreciate. If the railings are set back at least five feet and one inch from the property line, consistent with the staff's suggested modification, the additional one inch would enable the applicant to utilize more transparent wire railings instead of solid wood. Transparent railings would ideally be made of wire cable or secondarily of glass. This would be greatly appreciated. The setback would also be consistent with page 38 of the residential design guidelines, see attached, um, of, the reduce, of reducing the size of the deck to the smallest possible overall dimension, since only one unit is allowed to access the deck per code. And the third request is that there be a bathtub stair, um, that the stair penthouse be converted into an internal access point, such as a sunken or bathtub stair, as described and illustrated in the planning. Thank you, sir. That is your time. But you will have sentence? a two-minute rebuttal. Okay. Thank you. Okay. Project sponsor, you have five minutes. Okay, members of the commission, thank you for your time tonight. Um, and uh, I'm gonna, I just have a brief presentation um, summarizing a couple key points about the project. I'm gonna talk briefly about uh, relevant code section 188 of the San Francisco Planning Code. I'm gonna briefly orient us to the property uh, the plot plan and uh, the adjacent pro uh, uh, properties. Uh, I'm going to speak a little bit over a view from the uh, applicant for the DR's roof deck, and then I'm going to summarize. So I'm not going to read this, the entirety of this, but in essence, Section 188 is the section dealing with non-compliant structures. Uh, there are severe restrictions on what can be allowed on non-compliant structures, but within those restrictions, there are some allowances for alterations and, under, and, and intensifications of uses. Um, really key interpretation of Section 188, and this has been in the planning code since 1986, and that allows decking placed on a flat roof of a non-complying structure with code minimum railings and a penthouse that's placed um, in the buildable area of the lot. Uh, this interpretation directly correlates with the project at hand. We have a uh, decking on a flat roof, code minimum railings, and a penthouse that's in the buildable area. No other improvements. This is uh, sort of a brief orientation on the right. You can see the existing uh, plot plan on the left, the proposed plot plan. And what you can see uh, in the proposed plot plan, again, is that the penthouse is behind the rear yard setback. And there are no other improvements on the deck aside from the deck itself and the railing. So no barbecues, no trellises, no windscreens, no other built stru vertical structures. So here's, a, here's an overlay showing a couple uh, things about neighborhood character and pattern. Uh, the first of which, uh, and I know you're familiar with this, but there's, there's a pattern and a character of properties built into the rear yard in this neighborhood. Every contiguous property, so every property that touches uh, the, the project's property is built into the rear yard. And then the second thing that I think is relevant is that there are two adjacent rear yard decks um, at 
1913 grant and at 300 Chestnut, which is actually the DR applicant's property. So they, they both have uh, roof decks in the rear yard, uh, similar to the one that we are proposing on this project. Here's the view from the applicant's uh, roof uh, towards the project roof. Um, I want to make a couple key points here. Uh, the first uh, regarding uh, privacy, light, and air. Um, air is not really relevant when it comes to an open roof deck. Um, light, this, this roof deck would be to the north of the property, um, the, the applicant's property, so light is not really relevant either. Um, when you speak to privacy, uh, the, the concern raised was, um, you know, the, the, the things requested, uh, transparent railings, et cetera, those deal more with a concern for view. And so we think the real underlying concern here from the applicant is a loss of view and any uh, sort of uh, assumed correlation to property values, which really isn't um, appropriate in this case. This is a property without any outdoor space in a dense area of the city. We're asking for a modest deck without any uh, sort of significant amenities. It's flat on the roof, and we are in compliance with Section 188. So in summary, um, the, the, it's compliant under Section 188. The primary cited concern is privacy that's relevant, and we have offered to uh, put up a privacy screen that was not accepted. We've also offered to drop the penthouse by a foot, which is the code minimum. Um, the location of the deck is actually the furthest it could possibly be from the applicant's property. So if we move the deck, as the applicants you know, suggested in, in this presentation, it would actually be right on top of them. So again, it runs counter to their statement that it's about privacy. We think it's actually about views. Views are not protected. Every contiguous property is built into the rear yard, and the applicant's property has a roof deck built into the rear yard. So in, in summary, um, we're troubled by the fact that the applicant is essentially asking the commission to deny the same right uh, for our project that they have on their own property. Hi, good afternoon. My name is Ahmad Lariza, the project, uh, sort of a consultant to this project. You have 30 seconds. Can I take the last, the, the next 30 seconds? Uh, uh, we have a, this, uh, apparently uh, one of the commissioners asking for, why don't the rest of the, the, prop, uh, the tenant downstairs can use an open space on top of the building. So we came up with this design that everybody can use that deck because it's landlocked, there's, a, there's no property, and no, no open space for the other tenant. So we came up with this uh, design that we, you can see it on the screen. So that is your time, but you do have a two minute rebuttal, okay? Um, members of the public, this is your opportunity to address the commission. You need to come forward or press star three or raise your hand via WebEx. Seeing no request to speak, DR requester, you have a two-minute rebuttal. Thank you so much. I feel we are very close to an agreement here. Um, if we take the um, recommendation to have a setback of five feet one inch um, and we have a transparent fence, which would be wire, um, the, the wires that would provide that, um, the light and what we're looking for, as well, and um, if we can do a, in the inset bathtub stairwell instead of a eight or nine foot high penthouse for the stairwell, then I think we would have an agreement. That's what we've proposed. I think we would have, they would have access to the deck um, and there would be no structure and no solid fencing or penthouse um, there. So that's hard. If you, um, 
that would be our uh, recommendation and proposal for agreement that we've um, proposed but hasn't been accepted yet. So that's my request. Thank you. Thank you, project sponsor. You have a two-minute rebuttal. Let me get it on first for sure. As I, uh, this is Ahmad again. Uh, as we mentioned, one of the commissioners is asking so other tenant of the property can use the roof deck. So we came up with a new design, uh, 1010 mission. I was the first case I was here, and all the commissioners supported so all the tenant to be using the roof deck. So we're just complying with your requirement that other tenants have a right to use the roof. So we came up with this design. Do you want to see the? Yeah, SFF, can we go to the computer? There you go, Ahmad. Okay, no, go back to the roof deck. Okay, this is a roof deck. As you can see, we bring all the stairs from the main entrance all the way to the top of the building. Then it puts a passageway to go to that roof, the roof deck so that people can enjoy uh, open space because it's the landlock and there is no way anybody can use the outside. So this is the only way they can use the roof deck. And if you look at the design on the elevation of the front elevation, you see, this is a front elevation. You see the penthouse? Oh, no, not this one, this one. If you look at this penthouse, I talked to preservation planner today, uh, Moses. Moses, if, if you can, if you can the, the, uh, the bring the front of the, uh, front of the uh, penthouse down, and you have a minimum, you have a minimum, uh, 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 minimum uh, covering the, uh, the front of the building. That's 20 it. seconds. But anyhow, that's the, our recommendation, and I hope you can uh, understand the other tenant have a right to use the roof deck too. And get these people that keep selling the, the wire, roof wiring, I mean, this is so dangerous to have a roof deck and some kids goes through the, the wiring uh, to look down or something. They can go down, uh, three story down. So basically they're asking for, uh, uh, thank you. Thank you, that is your time. Okay, commissioners. Um, that concludes the public hearing portion, and now this matter is before you. Thank you. Uh, Mr. Winslow, did the proposal that was just presented with the pathway, I mean, I'm intrigued by the idea of providing access, but I'm not seeing that in my packet. It, it's it, not in your packet. Okay. It was a previous, uh, apparently after talking to the project architect the other day, it was a idea that was initially thought of, I believe, and then disposed of given clients' preferences and so forth. Maybe you could explain a little bit more. Yeah, can I just understand more about this? Because I, I mean, I'm, I'm intrigued by the idea of providing access for other folks to use this, considering there's no uh, other outdoor space, but I didn't have any information until just now. So could you explain what's going on? Yeah, I mean, this was something that uh, kind of was brought up um, recently, and we thought we'd at least bring it to the commission's attention. We did explore it very early in the, pro uh, in the project. It was not uh, part of the submitted project. There are, um, as you know, complexities both on the planning code side and on the building code side with uh, multi-unit roof deck access, particularly on the fourth floor. And uh, we did determine that you would need a second means of egress. That would be required an extension of the uh, stair that's at the front of the building and a penthouse. And uh, kind of our initial analysis determined that there were um, kind of roadblocks in terms of preservation and planning. Um, it's a, it's a uh, it's a B historic resource, so it hasn't been determined and been through a review. So we did discard that option early in the process. 
we thought it was relevant to at least uh, sort of put forward today because we know that it's relevant to some consideration of outdoor space in this dense area of the neighborhood. Right. Yeah, thank you for that. I mean, I guess I would say I'm intrigued by it. I think, um, I'll just say overall, you know, coming into this hearing without having seen that, I was prepared to just support the staff's recommendation to take DR, have those there. I would suppo suppose that if you wanted to continue to pursue this option, they could continue to revise the project, and I don't know if I have to come back or could get approved by staff over the counter, because again, it have to be the historic resource analysis, I think, would have to be conducted to determine if the penthouse needs to be set back further than it's proposed. Yeah, I also had a conversation on this proposal day before yesterday, yesterday. Uh, with the uh, pres uh, preservation staff manager on the appropriateness of the potential of the smaller penthouse, as Ahmad had suggested too, that also reduced the ceiling height to run with the stair, so it would be even further reduced in mass. So it would be minimally visible, so it's supportable um, from a preservation standpoint and currently um, checklistable within the current CEQA <coughs> analysis that's, um, I mean, it could be amended. To, to include that. But um, to avoid notice for that. It would require notice at this point if the commission decided to punt this altogether. Or the commission could say this is an ad acceptable alternative um, yeah. to I, approve. I, yeah, I mean, I would be supportive, supportive of that. Thank you for doing that legwork at the last few moments uh, of the, coming into this hearing. Um, so I'm supportive of that, but at the same time, I'm also just comfortable going with staff recommendation. Um, that does mean that other units wouldn't have access to the roof deck, and we've talked about access to outdoor space being something we would try to prioritize, and including retrofit, retrofitting um, that access to this building, which currently has no outdoor space at all. Um, so it'd be great. So interested to hear what other commissioners say. I could see Commissioner Moore. And Commissioner Brown with comments. Yeah. Uh, I, was I was the person who originally asked the question that in a three-unit uh, three building, be it condominium or rental, why would one only build a roof deck for one unit? Uh, particularly, this, uh, as proposed, it is only accessible from one unit. However, uh, this is not in front of us. Uh, the DR is filed, uh, and the uh, entire community is exposed to commenting on what's in front of us, and that is a single unit asking for a single roof deck. So if this project all of a sudden wants to change to a different venue, I think it would need to be continued and basically come forward as a different question to be asked for the rest of the community. What's in front of us is that the roof deck, as shown, uh, is too close to the address, and I think uh, we are relying on standard conditions that we typically use for roof decks hold it back from the property line. But aside from that, the size of the roof deck is larger than what is really needed for one unit. Should the other two units in the future also want to partake in the roof deck and start to make the second stair properly work, it can't be on property line anyway, uh, then the roof deck would be an aggregate of three times 133 uh, square feet. That is the uh, uh, open space required for a single unit in that particular uh, residential density district. Uh, that said, I think um, <clears throat> we would be well advised to consider reducing, one, holding the roof, roof, deck, roof deck back from the corners, two, sizing it that it is appropriate to the one unit it serves, but then also putting it in a manner that could be aggregated perhaps in the future with two additional like pieces and the stair in the future 
to have everybody uh, use the roof. Uh, that's the only kind of like simple logic I would use if I would be asked to, to solve a swiddle. Uh, and uh, uh, the uh, sunken stair or the bathtub stair, uh, we have done that, uh, but uh, I am not sure if that is exactly what I want to do here. I just come, I, I would have to think about that more. So, uh, uh, deck location, smaller deck, setback, take DR, and perhaps uh, uh, Mr. Winslow has sketched out while I'm talking here. I, do, I haven't penciled it out yet. I've tried, but uh, is there any kind of position uh, that you would recommend uh, where that would sit? Yes, I ha I, I've been noodling while you're talking, but um, <clears throat> pulling it back from both building edges, the side building edges, it's a 20-foot wide lot, presumably a 20-foot building, yields about 9, 10 feet of width of a deck. So, um, and then pulling it back, um, so aligning it with um, the stair penthouse as proposed, and say going out um, somewhere on the order of, you know, 18 to 20 feet, probably be a 20-foot square, I'm mean, sorry, 200-square-foot roof deck. Um, a little bit in excess of what the required unit open space is, but in consideration of um, potentially going forward and adding a deck or decks area sufficient to sort serve the remaining uh, tenants, you probably want to ma maximize this deck within those parameters so that if and when you do add to it, you will have 400 square feet for all yeah. three towns. I would so. say I'm in favor of that. I, I think setting it back five feet to me reduces the size already, and I don't right. see a need to further reduce the size of the deck beyond that. That's just my opinion. And it would be a regular size back. It wouldn't have these chamfered corners. Uh, yeah, it yeah. would just be pretty. Yeah. What are your recommendations yeah. regarding the railings? Yeah. Uh, be curious about that. Project sponsor uh, brings up a good point. Five feet, not five foot, one inch, is my understanding of where you can um, provide non-fire rated solid or transparent railing. Um, and I think it's an interesting point. In other words, if you had glass instead of cable rail, kids aren't going to get through it and then fling themselves over inadvertently um, the edge. So I would probably recommend going with glass rather than, you know, more malleable uh, wire railing. Uh, but other than that, I don't have an opinion. That recommendation makes sense. Does that jive with what you're thinking in terms of the glass or something? Exactly. Material? No, we don't mind. The glass is not the issue. At this stage, uh, as we discussed, our penthouse in the front is the minimum effect of the building. If you put it on, everybody else can come up and walk back there, sit on five foot from the side. We were willing to do that. And let everybody else enjoy it. Like yeah. uh, you know, other project you just went through today, and let the other people go to the roof and view and whatever, they enjoy fresh air and you know they have a relative or whatever the kids yeah. they enjoy the open space. Certainly, thank you. I see Commissioner Braun. I don't know Commissioner Murphy. Had any other comments that you wanted to make? No, I was done. Okay, Commissioner Braun. Yes, yeah. Um, I think that a lot of the ideas raised. Uh, just now have been interesting. I like the idea of providing access from the other units to this deck in the long term, but I don't think 
I don't feel like I have enough information to really weigh in on that for what we're talking about today. Um, you know, to me, one way or another, even if the deck were to be designed so that other units would have access to it, um, from the drawings I just saw, it didn't look like it was being pulled back the five feet, it was still going to the building edges. And to me, that's the sort of key question right now. And I'm still inclined to take staff's recommendation to pull back the roof deck five feet from the edges, as well as remove the proposed new solid roof parapet. And I don't know if other commissioners want to uh, suggest alternatives or anything else to be included in the in what we're doing here. The only thing I would ask Mr. Winslow had kind of suggested allowing an alternative that will, could include the um, penthouse and uh, access, the second access that they discussed. Uh, but I, I think that's where I'm still kind of with Commissioner Braun and Commissioner Moore, it's like, you know, the procedure. It wasn't before us. Nobody else was able to see or comment on it. And so uh, while I'm certainly open to it, I think is the pathway for the applicant to come back through a different application, amend their application and, and ask for that? Or what, what's the pathway for that? Yeah, I mean, it, I think that it would be a significant enough change from what is before us and what people might have been following, whether it's you individually or other neighbors, and then to have... You know, if they're not watching at 4.45 on this Thursday afternoon and, and, and calling in frantically saying, no, 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 that's what I don't want, or yeah, that's a great idea, I think the proper thing to do is to allow that to run its course under a separate permit with the understanding that this dialogue took place and that would be a supportable um, alternative to staff. But I think from your perspective, it'd probably be going too far. Yeah. But designing what we're pr proposing to you know, now to allow for that to happen with, the, you know, yeah, certain I, understanding that that may come forward. Because this is what we were looking at. Exactly. We weren't looking at the alternative until yesterday. Exactly. So to the product sponsor, if you decide that that programming would be amenable for future use, you're welcome to submit other applications. Sorry to make it a two-step process, but we just want to make sure we're doing everything in the way that the public and the neighbors can track what's happening. So maybe that's a future investment that's good for the other units, um, but at this time we're just going to be considering the deck as proposed without the additional access. Can way. we do the continuation and we can come up with a new design for, for the next hearing? I continue the uh, even so we with can the continuation, we'd still need to have the modification and noticing for right. that. And I yeah, it's I very simple. We can do it. It's already done. I'm not yeah, concerned it's, it's that a, the neighbors aren't project. aware. Yeah. No, so. we send a notification. I'm saying we send a notification. We come in front of you guys again. I'm not sure that we. I don't. I I, I appreciate the creativity. I'm just not sure that that's going to again meet the standard we want to have of consistency in terms of how we provide notice for projects and give folks a chance to review it. Um, that said, if you're requesting for a continuance, I, yeah, I suppose we request we, for continuance. Okay, sir, I haven't asked you a question, so if I'm you sorry. can refrain from speaking, I would appreciate that. Uh, to the fellow commissioners, if you would like to continue it to allow for amendments, great. If not, we can just take what's before us and they can submit a different proposal if needed. Commissioner uh, Diamond. I'm a little confused. Um, and I want to make sure I understand what we're being asked here. Um, if we ignore for the moment moving, you know, I, I support the idea of making the roof deck accessible for all of the uh, units. That's a really sound idea. That isn't what's in front of us currently. Um, what's in front of us currently is just the roof deck for the top unit 
staff's recommendation is pull it in five feet on both sides and have glass walls, right? Um, is it reducing the deck size further? I didn't hear, I think it was just pulling it in by five feet. I'm, I'm supportive of that. Um, if they wanna change the design, um, it's a little confusing to me to have the project sponsor, I mean, the DR requester isn't requesting the continuance, it's the project sponsor who wants a continuance to come in with a different design that would re need to be re-noticed. Is, is that what we're saying? So he would like to, and do we need the DR requester to agree to the continuance to do that? It's a good question. It's, it's entirely up to the commission whether or not you honor the project sponsor's request for continuance. And then if it was continued, just to maybe build on that, it would be continued with enough time for new, the updated proposal be submitted and then noticed. So we're looking at six weeks and how, how long would that take to get all that happening? My understanding is that at this point, if the project sponsor were willing to pursue this alternative, it would basically entail a revision to this existing permit. It would be a significant enough change to require a 311 notification, 30-day notification, which could draw a few more DRs, and um, we would then resume whatever um, this hearing is, in addition to any other DRs that might be pulled out of the woodwork or not. Um, but that would be kind of a do-over from that point on. Uh, so, so just so you know what it entails, it's a new 311 notification and then resump resumption of this hearing. Okay, Commissioner Diamond, I don't know if you have any other further questions. Yeah, so that means from the DR requester's perspective, this issue isn't resolved and it gets held over as well too, uh, unless of course you incorporate into your new package, your new design, you know, the recommendations from uh, Mr. Winslow that it seems like most of us are probably supportive of, which is bring it in five feet on both sides and use a glass wall. Um, and make it smaller because well, by unit assignment, this, this unit has a, has a right for about 150 square feet, leaving the rest of the roof open for future expansion in order to incorporate other owners or other inhabitants of that building to participate in the roof. But, but I think what I, we were saying is that they're going to continue it in order to put in a staircase that would allow uh, the, the other to serve all of the all of the uh, tenants. That is in the, at the moment speculative and in the future that could be, that's correct. Well, well, that's what she's asking, talking about. She's asking about a scenario in which the project is continued in order for them to revise the yeah. plans, re-notice, et cetera, with that expansion. Yeah, but I think Mr. Winslow explained that procedurally that it's not possible No, for I us think to. he was saying it is. He changed his mind. Yeah, I think Procedurally, it would be that we would, they would submit, resubmit the project and that it would be re-noticed and come back to us. But they're discussing it still, so. Okay, I think we're all getting a little tired as well to end our what hearing. Is, what, what, what is the interpretation? I'm kind of lost here. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Can we maybe clarify, either Mr. Winslow or Mr. City Attorney, if we can, in fact, if that process would be allowable to continue, have revised project plans submitted that reflect both the staff's recommendations, I would say, and this additional idea of additional access. Is that allowable procedurally? Well, 
I mean, I mean yeah, I think it is. if I could chime in here, yes, thank you. The, the project is before you. The project's been noticed. It has it. The, this body in its previous compositions has adjusted massing, reducing in one section and increasing it in other sections that were not noticed. So this body could simply say, okay, go ahead and do it. I understand the concern that it wasn't noticed that way, and it's probably best if neighbors were aware of it. Um, but there's nothing preventing you right now from allowing that change to happen. In other words, you could condition that the uh, staircase be moved to this particular location and that um, access for all the other units be provided now without continuing it. Now, it would certainly be, I guess, procedurally better for the neighbors to allow for the continuance and the renotification. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, Austin, but I don't believe there's anything preventing that from happening. Legally speaking, the commission's discretionary review powers are, are quite broad, um, and it's a matter of public notice and 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 what the public would have expected. But um, when a matter, when the when a request for discretionary review comes to the commission, you do have like as Jonas mentioned, significant um, discretion to make changes to the project. Um, if there are if there are s substantial or significant modifications, it it would not be a bad policy to continue it and potentially re-notice it so that um, adjoining neighbors who might be affected by those modifications would have an opportunity to review it and determine if they want to at least public comment mm -hmm. um, on the proposal. If okay. I could just also chime in on the pragmatic side of why maybe re-noticing it rather than exercising your broad powers to enable that scheme is that it could also then just be appealed to the Board of Appeals and have its own nether life. Yes, indeed. Um, I will just make one last comment before, I, I know I see, I think we got a lot of folks in the queue. I would. I am supportive of a path that gets us to having everyone in the building have access to it. So whether the rest of the commission is supportive of re-noticing or just using our powers now, I do think that that, in light of our previous conversations, is the direction I'd like to see us go. I see Commissioner Moore, Commissioner Braun, and then Commissioner Koppel. The basic question is, is this an uh, owner-occupied building? Is this a rental building? Is this a condominium? And if it indeed, uh, I'm not asking questions. I'm just speaking to my fellow commissioners here. Um, the, the real issue is, if it is a condominium, for example, all other parties would have to weigh in because adding two stairs and doing something of this magnitude is really a different project and requires different buy-in than the people currently here. I have never really even understood who owns a building, who's making a decision that only one unit will, will pro profit from a roof deck. It's very unusual in San Francisco building unless it's an owner-occupied building and the rest of the units are rented. Uh, so that stays out there. And in, in reality, I would agree with um, uh, um, uh, City Attorney Yang's as well as Mr. Winslow's interpretation. It's a different project. And that requires, for me, the responsibility to let the rest of the neighborhood weigh in. I'll be happy to look at anything, but uh, <laughs> we're here to represent the, pub the public's interest and not what we want. It's a great idea to uh, have a building which allows access for everybody, but it's a different project. So that would be my five cents on that. Thank you. Commissioner uh, Braun. Uh, yeah, I, have, I have two questions. Um, Partly because of Commissioner Moore's statement just now, that's a really good question about um, sort of the situation leading to this deck. And I am curious if the 
if the project sponsor, um, if you wouldn't mind answering sort of what led to this pursuing a roof deck that's accessible to a single unit and what kind of ownership structure there is in the building? Ahmad Larizadeh again. Well, when we were talking to David, apparently one of the commissioner questioned, what about the rest of the tenant in the building? That's what we came up since yesterday. They came up with the new design. We spent a lot of time to create that, you know, penthouse going to the roof, eliminate the other penthouse, build a deck, and all kinds of things. It's just from yesterday, maybe about 11, 12 o'clock till now, we came up with that design. Are, are these uh, are these rental units? I'm sorry. Building? Are these rental units? Rental units. Yes. Building? Okay. Yeah. He's the owner. Sorry. Um, hi, Will Bennett. I'm the. Um, building owner along with my wife and my mother-in-law. Uh, we, we've been living in the building since 2017. We have two young kids, three and five. We um, intend to keep living in the building. We you know, need a place to flip a burger and have the kids zoom their trucks around or whatever. So that's, that's kind of you know, what we're doing with this project. Um, uh, currently, the, the building needs renovations, so the other units are not rented out right now, but that you know, would obviously be an option or, you know, who knows what happens in the in the future, but that's kind of, they're intended to stay as separate units. It's not like we're just filling the whole building with our family. Or I see, like thank that. you. So in essence, you have a owner-occupied unit and then two um, additional units. Yeah, right? exactly. Okay. exactly. Well, that makes sense. Um, and then just uh, for our conversation as commission, I, I, I'm curious procedurally, uh, Maybe, maybe Mr. Winslow, I, I don't know. If, if, what would happen if we approved the deck, pulled back five feet, just, you know, staff's recommendation coming in today's, into today's hearing, and then the sponsor wanted to still pursue uh, a deck that is accessible to all the units in the building. Um, does, does our approval of this one project make it more difficult for them to then pursue the second project and do the re-notice, if they're going to have to re-notice anyway? Does I don't make think a so, and I'm going to share a diagram, <laughs> if you don't mind. <laughs> Thank you. Share a diagram. Mr. Winslow, can you speak into the mic? Yes, I can't hear Mr. Winslow. I can't see you. Um, <laughs> this is a scenario where the deck being pulled back from all building edges in the rear, um, not including that um, bay window at the rear, kind of yields something akin to a 10 by 20 deck, 200 square feet. Um, that could be approved today per the direction we were heading. Um, the project sponsor could then, through that process that we just described, apply for a revision to this permit to add this, this little rectangle here that would be the roof penthouse that serves another deck similarly sized and located set back five feet from the property lines and have a walkway between those two uh, 200 square foot decks, which would be 400 square feet, and served by two stairs. One here in the stair penthouse and one here existing that already uh, reaches the roof. So I think this doesn't preclude that. Great, and I think just to yeah. clarify for Commissioner Brown, that would be through a revision of the permit after this commission approves the, the permit. Did you have any other questions or comments? No, um, I think that, yeah, that clarified it for me. 
Okay, we have Commissioner Imperial next, and then maybe we'll have a motion. Um, thank you. Um, yeah, it's, because of this issue now, um, I will caution procedurally in terms of how we're moving forward. Although we have, as a commission, can introduce one motion and then you know, introduce another subsequent motion as well. Um, but I think the issue here at the end of the day is that the project sponsor doesn't want to reduce the size of the debt. And even, and that's, I think, that leads to the proposal as well to um, have the other units access to the deck so that it can, so that they will be able to maintain the size of the deck. Um, for this case, I will um, follow or I will recommend what the staff's recommendation today. Um, and I will move forward with a motion with Kate DR with modifications. Is there a second for that motion? I second that motion. Uh, I second the motion with the uh, with the modifications, including the one spelled out by Mr. Winslow. Uh, that is the setbacks from the edge of the building, the sizing, uh, and the railings. Well, I just want to clarify that the, the staff's modifications do not include reduced redu reduction of size outside of five foot setbacks from the edge of the building. I just want to clarify that. Great, that's my understanding. It's pretty significant reduction in size, so it's. Size. I think it's. Size. It is a resizing, but it's through the five foot setback with glass railings. Right. Yeah, I believe that's the. That's what we have is the setback of minimum. Is right. that? Commissioner yeah. Moore, do you still wish to second that motion? Um, uh, I like to have Mr. Winslow weigh in because, as the rest of the building still does not have any open space, I would like the deck for this particular unit to be sized appropriately to what the whole deck ultimately will be affording. So I was kind of looking ahead, uh, the, the, the roof deck is just oversized. I don't think 200 square feet is a particularly large roof well, deck. Well, we didn't, so let me clarify, that's what Commissioner Moore, I believe, is digging in on. It's, we, I didn't specify a size yet. I just said pull it in five feet on my staff report. You, so you mentioned, is there a specific size you would you, suggest? You mentioned 150, feet, 150 to 200 square feet uh, as, 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 as a... Yeah, I think if, if I were to foresee the project sponsor wanting to come back, which it sounds like they have every indication to do so, to provide code compliant total area for the building, I would suggest that this deck that you're approving today be no smaller than 200 square feet. That's fine. Simply to be able to provide, a comp you know, the complement in the future. <clears throat> No smaller than you said, 200 square feet. That's what that's what I meant. Okay. Uh, the, the, well, if that is a motion, I can support that. Uh, is that your motion, Commissioner Imperial? Yes, I will be amenable to that. Can we restate the motion, please? I'm yes. not sure what it is. Yes, please. <laughs> Commissioner Imperial, can you restate your motion? It's take the R and approve good modifications with. With the with a set, um, what do you call it? With a deck that is not less than two hundred feet. Not less than two hundred square feet. Two hundred square feet, yes. And that is set back five feet on all sides and has a glass uh, railing. I think we would, because of the the size of the roof deck, that would not require a setback already. Okay. 
Well, I think the staff recommendation is that it be to the staff recommendation per the the packet uh, is that the roof deck would be. I'm just going to read it so we're all oh. on the same page. That it would be set back a minimum of five feet from all building edges, and reduced in size to ensure adequate privacy. I think that's part of where the confusion is because and reduced in size to me the five foot is the reducing in size that's just me and the second point in the staff recommendation is removal of proposed salt new solid roof parapet and then we've discussed that would be a glass parapet so is that what you're and then you're adding I think perhaps or amending it to say the deck would be set back a minimum of five feet from all building edges mm -hmm. and be no less than 200 square feet right. and then continuing with the removal of proposed solid roof parapet in exchange for glass. Is that what you're wanting to suggest, Commissioner Imperial? I have a question to Mr. Winslow. With that, um, if the size of the deck is not smaller than the five, five, uh, 200 square feet, then the minimum setback of five feet from all building is still, will that still work? Yeah, it does. Okay. That's then what I was curious. Case, yeah, in that case, I will add. What, what, will add what we're trying to get is a deck that's 200 square feet set back yeah. from five. At least five, 200 at square least, feet. At least 200 square feet um, and set what, back five feet I, from building now, now I'm really confused. What's the purpose of at least 200 square feet if we're just So I will say, for my part, I'm not, in, I'm not interested. <laughs> Commissioner Moore is interested in reducing the deck size of the deck. I'm just wanting to set it back. So I don't care how big it is as long as it's set back. That's the only okay. thing I want to do. So just and, to get this would, thing over with, trying to make sure we're clear about what the freaking heck we're doing so we can vote on it and all be content and go home. I, I would approve a motion that said just five feet on all sides um, and a glass wall. I, I don't care about the size of the deck. That it will determine itself when you move back by five feet. Exactly. Commissioner Imperial, sorry to impede on your motion making. Um, no, it's okay. This is... Um, if um, I will I will retract back on my original motion that is take the R and approve the um, staff modifications as it is. Okay. Is there a second for that motion? Yeah. Commissioner Diamond is seconding that motion. Okay. Uh, could we clarify the use of the word parapet versus railing? A parapet is not a railing. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I'm sorry. Uh, there, there's some. It's the just a question. The roof parapet I was recommending removal of in the staff report was simply that at the property lines um, and by setting back uh, first of all it's not allowed by code and on, on the non-complying portion of the structure second of all um, it's just more than you need and it's certainly not what you need when you set back a deck five feet from the building edge but I just wanted to be clear about it thank so, you Commissioner Imperial there is a motion that has been seconded, and I'd like to read the motion into the record just to make sure I've captured it correctly so the motion is to take DR, approve the project as proposed, reducing the um, roof deck from all building edges by five feet and to have glass railings. Is that correct, Commissioner Imperial? Correct. Thank you, Commissioner Diamond. Yes. Thank you. On that motion, Commissioner Braun? Aye. Commissioner Ruiz? Aye. Commissioner Diamond? Aye. Commissioner Imperial? Aye. Commissioner Koppel? Aye. Commissioner Moore? Aye. Aye. And Commissioner President Tanner? Aye. So move, Commissioners, that motion passes unanimously 7 to 0. All right. Today we'll be adjourning in honor of the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. So hopefully you'll enjoy uh, this weekend and honoring his legacy here in the U.S. and really throughout the world. Thank you, Thank Commissioners. You. We're adjourned.